We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. That took me by surprise, but here we are. <laughs> uh, the countdown yeah. didn't conclude. My apologies. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> Welcome, Notre Dame fans, to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Mailbag Friday, and I love Mailbag Friday, Brian. Uh, we are live. We are here. We are ready to answer your questions. We've already actually got a bunch of questions uh, lining up in the queue, uh, Brian, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, it means people... Might look as much forward to this as I do. I doubt that, though. Um, and so we've got a bunch of stuff coming your way. I, I do want to put out there that tomorrow starts spring practice, Brian, and we are going to have our spring preview podcast out tomorrow morning to get you primed and ready for spring practice. Uh, I'm excited. Yeah, we're about we're already it. halfway through that, actually. We started yes. recording that this morning. We'll finish it up later. But that's been a lot of fun so far, just yes. looking at a lot of the different – position groups that we're excited about and battles and what young players are going to step up, which veterans kind of are in that, that, you know, that miles Boykin come out of nowhere to be a, yeah. a beast type of mode. So that's when, the, you know, that's when you start to really learn about your, your, your new team. Cause every team is different. I mean, right. In basketball, sometimes maybe you can kind of bring everybody back, but in football, it is impossible to bring everybody yeah. back from a team. Yeah. Even last year was the perfect opportunity because everyone was eligible to come back. You could have, and it's still, he had a ton. You of still didn't do it. Yeah. Right. You still got a bunch of guys. Right. It's just part of football. The NFL draft. It's I mean, part it of football. So your culture changes, your leadership sure. changes, your playmakers change, your lineups change. Every team is different, and this is your first chance for us to kind of see or hear 
uh, about what that is going to look like. So that's the, that's line. an exciting, a very exciting time for me. This is kind of one of my favorite times of the year when we look at is. covering the football team because now this, what we're eventually going to see come to fruition and by the end of December and January, is this is our first chance to kind of see what that's going to look like. Yep, absolutely. And that that as a coach, spring practice for me is so much fun because you you're seeing those guys that might have toiled in the background, you know, step up, take a leadership role, guys stepping into the starting lineup. There's opportunities for guys that aren't there in the fall. And mm-hmm. and, and some guys it, it just it just happens when a group of guys leaves, a group of veterans leave, all of a sudden a light switch turns on for some guys. They're like, "Okay, now's my time." You know, and and some guys you know what to expect uh when those veterans leave. So it's a lot of fun. I, I love springtime uh, when it comes to coaching football and, and covering a football team. And um, <clears throat> with this team, there's a lot of question marks. There's no question about that. And the best part is finding out the answers to those question marks, Brian. Uh, so, are you ready to get kick this thing off? Yeah, I mean, and we've already got a ton of questions. I know we've had a couple questions that we got beforehand. So, uh, the more we monologue, the uh, the the. <laughs> The less chance we can get into these questions, and there's already some great questions, so I am ready, Vince, to dive right. All right. Do we want to start with some of those ones from Facebook and Twitter, or do we? Yeah, want to... let's knock those were done ones that were done before. Yeah. Let's knock those out really quick, and then uh, and and then we've got some Vincent Roberto uh, is is coming with pure heat with the very first question in there. So when we get to that one, that'll kind of kick things off because it's a good question, but you know what? Yeah, it's it's a it's a very fair question. It's a very okay. fair question. I'm going over to Facebook, and Tyler has a question. Uh, To what extent will the potential name, image, and likeness legislation change the modern recruiting process? What will Notre Dame do or need to do, because we don't have that answer, uh, to separate themselves from the pack? I I think this is a tremendous opportunity for Notre Dame. I don't think this necessarily changes the landscape as much as people think, because let's be honest, for some schools, they're already paying players. So I don't think earning it legally necessarily moves the needle for them as much. For a place like Notre Dame, if they do it right, it's going to move the needle a ton. Yes. To say, look, you're you're a there are genuine situations where players are taking money because they they feel like if I don't, my mom or my dad can't pay the mortgage or the sure. lights are going. I mean, that's and, a that's a legitimate, legitimate. Yes, and it's it's I've lived in all over the country, and those are realities everywhere. People like to focus Correct. on it being a case in the South. I'm like, hey, I'm from Ohio. Mm. Trust me, it's happening in Ohio yeah. too. It's no happening doubt. in Pennsylvania where I've yeah. lived. It's happening, it's happening in Virginia. Indiana. I mean, it, believe me, I see so, it every so, day. So school. I get it. Well, now all of a sudden, if you're a top recruit and 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 your mom and dad are like, hey, yeah, we we. We, yeah, the help would be great, but you, you, we need you to go get that education to, to better yourself for the long term, that long term financial commitment for you. But now you can do both. You can go to Notre Dame. And if you're a top prospect, you're going to have a chance to start making some money if Notre Dame does it right. Legitimate money. And to say, hey, look, here's a some few thousand dollars to now all of a sudden mom and dad can keep the lights on and all those types sure. of things. Or if you are someone who, to me, like a Dion Colsey, who doesn't come from a, a hardship background, but a very intelligent family, and, and they're already thinking of ways to promote his name, image, and likeness. That's another opportunity where now you can make that money, but you can also go somewhere where you're going to get a phenomenal degree. And I don't know, 
a place where you can make money and go to a school that has the best business school in the country. Hmm, that sounds like a good idea. Sounds like a class so to me. I honestly think if Notre Dame does this right and, and looks at this with the right frame of mind, <clears throat> I think this could be a huge, huge gap closer for Notre Dame in the recruiting trail. I, I'm not saying I'm not going to say I'm necessarily confident they're going to do it the right way. Sure. But doing it the right and part of doing it the right way is making sure that kids are still going to class and still getting Absolutely. an education, which I want to ask the NCAA, all these people like you, you're when are these kids supposed to go to class between right. practice and, and all these and endorsements commercials and all this other kind of stuff. stuff. Right. Yeah. You know, but for Notre Dame, I think this could be a tremendous, tremendous opportunity because now they can start paying players, but doing it, doing it legally. Well, and and for Notre Dame, there's not many schools out there that are starting out with the foundation that Notre Dame has as far as their tradition and the name recognition and the brand and, and all of those things because, um, you know, you've got your Alabamas, you've got your Clemsons, you've got things of that nature, you got Ohio State, I get all that. Notre Dame's in that conversation when you're talking about brand. And yeah. they're, the, with the foundation that they're already starting with, like if, if you're trying to do name, image, and likeness at UNLV, Right, they're not starting out with the foundation that Notre Dame is not starting for football. out with. You know what I right. mean? They're just not, and so Notre Dame has a leg up automatically, automatically with their brand. So, like you said, if they do it right, I think that it could be a very beneficial situation right. when it comes to recruiting. But we have to kind and, of wait. And, and, and see. there are some kids that that this doesn't move move the needle for. That's that's and, absolutely. Notre Dame isn't getting those kids anyway. Right. I don't think Notre Dame's here's the thing. I don't think Notre Dame's going to lose kids they would have otherwise gotten because of this. And I don't but I think that there are kids that would are Notre Dame kids that for different reasons sure maybe don't view and then there's other kids who who aren't as necessarily interested in taking money who are going to be more interested in Notre Dame because of exactly what you just said. Boy, you know what? Like, I'm not so, you know, not every kid. There's this notion that every kid that signs to Alabama takes money. That's not true. It's not true. No. Some kids want to go to Alabama. It, you know, yes, are play, players getting played? Yes. Everyone with the that with the brain and any kind of intellectual honesty is going to tell you, yes, players are getting paid at schools. Uh, but it, it's not every kid. And there are kids who right now aren't that way, whose parents aren't that way, who would like Notre Dame, but there's a few things keeping them down. Well, now you've got an on-field product that's, that's really good and yep. not quite there, but Hey, you could be the difference. Is you could be the point. guy. That's a, and now it's actually like, point. Hey, you want to major in business? We have the best business school in the country. You want to be able to take some money, you know, whatever it's going to be. And it's not going to be like completely life-changing money. Kids aren't going to be making like a hundred thousand dollars a year. I don't believe I imagine they're going to put some caps on it and things like that. So. I would hope but so. you're going to take that money and you're going to be able to, to get a tremendous business degree. Well, now you've got money for startup. If you know, if you're not good enough to go to the NFL or if you are good enough in the NFL, you got a nice little, situation here stashed right. away to kind of help you with some of those entrepreneurial things. And there's a lot of kids that go to other schools that have that kind of entrepreneurial mind, but they know that those schools are going to give them a chance to make the most money in the NFL because those schools produce more NFL players. Sure. So there's all these things that factor into it that now all of a sudden Notre Dame can kind of close the gap again, if they do it right. And so I, I do believe this is a, a, a golden opportunity pun intended uh, for Notre Dame ah, to, well to close the needle with, with, and again, it's not for a million kids. It's not 40 kids all of a sudden. It's just, what do we keep talking about? It's one or two kids on each yep. side of the ball that can be that difference maker. Yep. And especially the one position that matters the most quarterback, there is not a school in the country that if you go to that school and you're a star quarterback, that you're going to have more opportunities than Notre Dame. Not a one, no doubt, not a one, no doubt. 
Okay, Brian, uh, we're gonna ha- we're gonna jump over to the Twitter machine, and we've got a question uh, in here from ER. All right, uh, is this is an X's and O's question? So I know you're gonna like this. Is a rover used differently in a three three five than in a four two five, and does it require a different style of player? So I I responded to this question on Twitter, and as I've thought more about it, it's is a little bit more nuance required because number one is what position are you calling the rover? That's yeah. what I don't know. And will the rover in a three three five be sort of that Sam linebacker we've talked about? And if that's the case, then he'll be a lot different than the rover from what we've seen now in a four two five, which is a more like a safety body, right? And you know, Drew Tranquil's played it, Jeremiah Wusu's played it. They were linebackers, but they were more safety bodies. Sure, yeah, uh, especially early on in their tenures. Drew Tranquil was recruited to play safety. Jeremiah Wusu or Moa played basically a safety position in high school. If they're in a three three five and the rover is that third linebacker, then it's going to be different. It's going to be more like a it's going to be more like what Notre Dame did. Let me let me change. It's that position will be more like the rover that Notre Dame has had. Yes. Okay. If they go to a three three five and the rover is the third safety, then it completely changes because now it's more of a true defensive back type of position. You still want the length, ideally. You still want a a you know now Jeremiah Wusu could fit in that category. Drew Tranquil isn't. Right. He's right. he's more of the rover in the three three. Like as far as being that third linebacker. That's right. That's Drew, Drew Tranquil. Tranquil. Right. Yeah. Whereas Jeremiah Woos was the only rover Notre Dame has had that could play that as a safety. And even then, it's kind of like, I don't know if I'd even play him then. I'd still have him as that third linebacker, that right. same linebacker. So that's where it would change if that fifth safety is more of how they use the rover, which is at Cincinnati. That's kind of how it was. I mean, the the that fifth DB played a lot differently than how Notre Dame uses its rover. That third linebacker does not. So that would be my question: Is it depends on what they define as the rover? Is it the Sam linebacker in a three three five, or is it right. the fifth DB? And that's going to change the answer. So if it is the, the the third linebacker, then it will stay somewhat similar. Right. If it's the fifth DB, then it completely changes because they use that player completely different than the way that Notre Dame used their quote unquote fifth DB, which was the rover, and it was completely different. Yes. Okay, Brian. Are you ready for the heat? Yes, let's do it. Because uh, Vincent, by the way, great name. Uh, Vincent Roberto has this question. Does Notre Dame get rid of Brian Kelly if they don't take the next step within the next year or two? And a couple of, you know, David actually answered that question, which I thought was great. But I want your answer, Brian. Let's see what mm-hmm. you got. Well, show what David put up there. And and because I think this is David kind of represents what a lot of people are, are thinking. Yeah, this um, is, I don't think so. Vincent, uh, four, 43 and eight doesn't yeah. get you fired. And then he followed that up with, but all of us wish for better. Right. I share your set. See, that's, I get that. that's the rub. So yeah. to me, I don't think, I don't think it, I don't think Notre Dame is going to be capable of not going in one direction or the other. I don't think just staying the same is going to happen because the schedule jumps up in 22 and 23. And if you're not a better program, then you're going to be back to eight and fours and nine and right. threes yep. more. Yep. And if if Brian Kelly takes a step back, could I see them having a conversation about moving on? Will he get fired? That's a no. Big, that's a nuance. They have a yeah. mutual mutual decision to you know Brian Kelly decides he's going to retire. Right. Uh, sure. Honest, and I think that's the same conversation with Mike Bray. It, it's right. Hey. 
we've loved what you've done for right. us. But they've taken a step yeah. back. And, and so to Agreed. me, yeah, if right. Notre Dame is still going 10 and two every year. There's no, there's no appetite. Uh, well, uh, not well, necessarily. I, I there's meant, no appetite at Notre Dame to move on. Notre Dame's administration, in my opinion, would like to win a championship, but they're perfectly fine going 10 and two every year. Sure. Sadly, there's a big chunk of the fan base that is now content with that as well, because in their mind, and it's the worst argument I've ever heard. Well, mm -hmm. Do you want to go back to the days of, of Bob Davey and Ty? Well, as if firing Brian Kelly means, yes, we want to fire Brian Kelly because we want to be like it was under Charlie. Right. Why does it have That's to be one of the other? the dumbest thing I've ever heard right. of. No, it's, it's Brian Kelly has done a phenomenal job at Notre Dame. A phenomenal job. Yes. Go back and look at where the program was when he took over in 2009. You know, end of the 2009, he was hired December. And where it is now, and it is light years away. Facility-wise, recruiting-wise, talent-wise, NFL production-wise. Um, wins and losses now is at that point now, yeah. but even then with the exception of 2016, his down years were like eight and five, whereas sure. down years and previous mm -hmm. coaches were losing seasons. Yes. And, and so to me, it's the program has come a long way, but this is still Notre Dame. This is still a place where championship should be the goal. And I'm tired of people saying, yeah. well, academics is okay. So like every great player doesn't care about going to school. Right. That's incredibly prejudiced and <laughs> yeah, wrong. No, no you know, kidding. um, no kidding. And because no one says that about linemen, right? Or tight ends, right? What okay, so what are we talking about here? So that's false. Uh facility-wise, Notre Dame can more than hang with those people. Now people say, well, you know, they don't have student-only dorms. I don't care. I Most don't, Notre I, Dame I, students like the fact that they're it's yes. that way. So those yes. aren't the re if a kid says I didn't go to Notre Dame because they have uh they didn't have athlete-only dorm, he wouldn't come to Notre Dame anyway. Right. And if he did come to Notre Dame, he wasn't gonna make it, right? Because he's just coming here for just football. And there's exactly. plenty of kids out there that, that I don't, yeah, I'd like to have an athlete dorm, but I don't care because I'm here for other reasons. So the thing that, that the camp that I fall in is I'm not talking about firing Brian Kelly. I've, I've never talked about, I didn't talk about firing Brian Kelly after four and eight. That's mm -hmm. not what I do. My, my whole objective and what I do of my criticism is to say, yeah, coach, you've done a great job, but this is Notre Dame. And it's now about taking the next step and not being content going 10 and two. Not use the, the fact that Brian Kelly, after the when he talks about the 2018 season, says, Well, we didn't lose to Alabama to, to Clemson as much as Alabama did. What? <laughs> hey, right. I'll trade if I'm Alabama, I will trade places with Alabama in a heartbeat. You take the worst loss and give me the six national titles. Yes, because absolutely. You, you like, come on. And I could you imagine Urban Meyer or Nick Saban or Dabo Sweeney ever making that argument? Never gonna that's happen. the frustrating thing is hey, coach. It's okay to say, you know what? We didn't get it done. Right after the game, that's fine. You want to, you know, make sure your players are feeling good, but then then come sure. out and stop being so defensive and say, hey, look, 10 and 2 isn't good enough. I came here to win championships, and we've got to make changes to do that. I, I'm hoping that he does that because there is another level. And if he doesn't, if he's not willing to make the changes and he just keeps doing what he's doing and they just kind of stay stagnant, okay, so. So then are you willing to just say, well, fine, we just give up the fact that Notre Dame can ever compete for championships? I, I think there's a lot of people that would say that, which is why I don't think Brian Kelly's job is in jeopardy if he just maintains what he's doing, which is 10-2 every year. Uh, and, and also, look, if you did fire Brian Kelly, good luck trying to trying to hire yeah, a coach. It's like, exactly wait a minute, right. you're gonna, you're gonna, I'm going to go to a school that's going to fire <laughs> me because I go 10-2 every year? Right. It wouldn't be that kind of thing. It may be like a, hey, you know what, coach? Like, hey, we'll give you a lot of money and you walk away and – 
go work in the TV and all that kind of stuff. But I don't see that happening. And, and I'm hoping that we don't have to have this conversation. I'm hopeful right. that Coach Kelly's going to make the changes needed because I do think he's someone capable of taking Notre Dame to that next level. I thought it when they hired him in 2009, and I believe that now. Is he willing to do the things that it's necessary to do that? Yes. But does he have the talent, the, 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 the intellect, all the different things a head coach needs to, be, to win a national championship? I believe he does, which is why I'm so critical of him. If I didn't believe he did, then I wouldn't criticize him because, hey, look, he's doing the best he can. With what he's got. Yeah, not, right. With what, not with what he's got because it's not the institution, with who he is. Sure. And, unless that's what you meant by what he's got. Right. If, if, and that's why I'm critical of him because I don't think he's maximizing his potential as a head coach, which in turn maximizes the potential of the program. So um, I, I don't think he'd get fired unless he takes a step back. I don't think it's just not taking another step would be the reason that got him would, would get him would have them part ways. He'd have to take a step back. We'd have to go back to the eight and fives, that kind of thing. And, and I, I think, think it would that, have to be consecutive years right. too. It's not going to be, it's not going to be a or one year blip. It'd have to be like nine and four this year because they go nine and three and lose a bowl game and then eight and five the next year. Then it's like, hey, coach, like, look, you know, you've Same taken working. as far as you can take us. Let's, let's make a change. But yep. I hope that we don't have to have that conversation because I truly believe that Brian Kelly has this program on the cusp of that next step. And if he can just make those final tweaks, you know, then, then, then I think we can have it. And, and, you know, somebody sent me a, a tweet Vince today that, that I absolutely want to play real quick that just backs up what I've been saying. And this is what I hope ultimately Brian Kelly comes with this year. So I'm going to play this little thing for you. This is Nick right. Saban. Paul Agresta sent me this on a, on a, on a private message on Twitter. Uh, so I want to share this with you. So uh, there's going to be some sound here. So this is Nick Saban. Okay. Grew up with the idea. Can everybody that hear that? Play good defense. You run the ball. I grew up with the idea that you play good defense. You run the ball. You control vertical field position on special teams, and you're going to win. Whoever rushes the ball the most for the most yards is going to win the game. You're not going to win anything. Now doing that, I grew up with the idea. So. That's Nick Saban saying that, right? That's, a, that's adapting to the game, right? right? It's and, and he's done it. It The proof is in the pudding. Look at right. the offense that he ran in 9 and 11 and 12. It was ball control, power, great defense, holding teams to 10 points a game. Beat and now, out of you, in the trenches, you yeah. know, now it's it's we're scoring. We got to score because he's right. seen it because they saw it when they lost to Ole Miss two years in a row. They saw it when with Johnny Manziel. They saw it with, you know, the emergence of Clemson. They've seen it with LSU. You got to score. And so the, the the best coach of our generation is saying, yeah, I had to change what I believe in because I knew that's what it took us to get us to the next level. The thing about Brian Kelly is he doesn't have to change what he believes in. He has to go back to what he used to believe. That's the that's the exciting thing for me to say. Yeah. If Brian Kelly goes back to the guy that I saw that got hired at Notre Dame, that's the final step. Yep. So it's not about him becoming something he's not. It's go back to who you go back to what got you here. And if you do that, then I'm excited for what this program could be the next couple of years. All right, Brian, we got a ton of questions, and the, the queue is getting full, brother. So Dylan has a question about recruiting. Once a player commits, what all goes into keeping their commitment? Do you feel good about this staff being able to retain these early commits? I think it's just you you know that you have to recruit a guy the entire year, and, yep. and you have to understand which recruits you have to recruit the most. So what you can't do, even with the the most solid of commitments, is you can't just like, okay, good luck. We'll see you in November or we'll see you in December. You have to stay engaged. You have to keep that relationship going. 
with other guys that you know are are getting recruited by Ohio yeah. State. Oh, yeah. You, you, yeah, we got our verbal commitment. What uh, the expression, the old saying is, well, all that means is now everybody knows who, to, who, who's, who's, who's the leader, who's is, the leader in the clubhouse. Right? That's exactly right. And so that guy, you don't stop recruiting until you get his signature. And, and that's, the, there's different levels. So you have to know that as a staff, you have to understand that you have to make sure you're committing the right resources to keeping that true. You have to make sure that other commits are staying engaged with that kind of kid and always want to be ahead of you know, know what's coming. I think in the past, what would get Notre Dame in trouble when they'd lose commitments is they would kind of get a guy and just kind of leave him. That's what hurt him with Deion Colsey last year. That's just the truth. That's what he was telling people behind the scenes was, you know, look, I got all these SEC schools calling me and, you know, I, I don't hear from, you know, my position coach and forever. And unfortunately, Tommy Reese was able to get involved and, and get him back into class. But you can't have those kind of mistakes. And they used to make those kind of mistakes a lot. Remember the Ronald Darby situation? Similar situation. It was just like we didn't didn't stay involved with them enough. They've done a much better job of that in recent seasons. Really, since the post-2016 makeover, they've done a really good job of continuing to recruit kids throughout the process. Mm -hmm. And that's why they haven't lost that many kids. And the kids that they did lose, you're kind of like, yeah, I don't think that. You know, we, we aren't surprised by them very often. Uh, and then last year, they lost two commits, and they got them both back, which – you know, it just says a lot about just that relationship that they build. And uh, if the relationship isn't initially strong enough, then you can't rebuild, you can't repair that bridge or, or whatever the case may be. Um, but with Deion Colsey and with Philip Riley, they were able to get them both back into class because mm -hmm. the foundation was so strong. The relationships were so strong. They were able to get it done. So uh, that, that to me is really what goes into keeping a kid committed. I'm confident they're going to keep all the kids in this class that they want to keep in this class. That they want. I'm, to just gonna, I'm just going to leave it at that. Okay. All right. Fair enough. That was an interesting little twist there. All right. I watch a lot of movies. You left me a cliffhanger. Okay. <laughs> uh, Joseph has a recruiting question for you, Brian. Does ND have a shot with uh, Darius Clemens? Not until they get him on campus. Okay. I mean, are they look? Do they have a shot in that they made us what it was a top ten or whatever it was recently? He le released a top eight or ten or something like that. Notre Dame was in it. That's great. They're in the conversation. The reason I don't talk about him a whole lot, Joseph, like I did a, a Dream Class article yesterday and I didn't mention him because I don't view him as a realistic option yet. Okay. If they get him on campus, yes, big deal. But this is a kid that's out in Oregon and played his junior year. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Utah because they didn't have football in, in Oregon, which I love that, by the way. 
He didn't just take the year off. He said, fine, I'm going to go move to Utah and play in Utah. I love that. That tells me that kid's a competitor. I yeah. love it. Well, there was a lot so, of that in Indiana. Yes. Let me tell you. There a lot so, of Illinois people yes. and a lot of Kentucky people And so came I over. love that about Darius Clemens. So I yeah. like Darius Clemens a lot as a player. It's just until he gets on campus, I'm not viewing that as a – and that's not true of every kid. This is true of him. Until they get him on campus for a, an official or an unofficial visit, sure. I don't feel like there's there's much of a shot there. But if if that changes and they get him on campus, then then Joseph, come back and talk to me, and I'll feel a lot better about that because he can flat out play. He is a good football player. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. All right, DeBeezy has a question about spring practice. With it being close to the media, what are you most looking forward to hearing from your sources? And we have... We have a it's couple. It's Beezy, co- man. Come on. Why? Well, I, I kind of put it together. Oh, Beezy, there. It's D Beezy. Oh, Come right. on now. Yeah, I teach in South Bend. All it's right. Okay. Um, there's a couple other kind of uh, similar questions. Um, mm-hmm. Let's see here. Let me. There was one. Where was it? Um, well, I can't even find it now. But there, there was other ones about what do we want to see? What do we want to hear? You know, from mm-hmm. the sources since we can't mm-hmm. obviously attend spring practice. So I'll let you go first because. A lot of this information is going to be in our spring preview podcast that we're that is going to go out tomorrow. Um, but we can kind of give a little synopsis here. I think for me, it's it's number it's Jack Cohn. I want to hear how he's doing, how yep. well he's performing. You know, I want to hear how the offensive line battle is shaping up. I want to hear about how the freshman and defense and the secondary are performing. Uh, and we'll have a podcast out tomorrow where we talk about all this stuff. Yep. So uh, I'm not going to get too much into that now. But the <laughs> big thing for me, the biggest takeaway from all of it is if we don't see the philosophical changes on offense, none of that other stuff is ultimately going to matter. That's fair. Notre Dame has the talent. They're going to go 10 and 2 at worst next year. I just, that's how confident the I am. It's not that great. And it's not I- just that, Vince. It's also that's the confidence that I have and that Brian Kelly has the program in a place where they're going to beat most of the teams on their gotcha. schedule. They have better players then. Sure. They're not going to just lose the games that they used to lose early in his career, but also more thinking in before that, where they're just like, how do you lose to that team? Yeah, right. They're not losing the Navy this year. They're not losing to those right. teams. Right. So I'm confident they're going to be a 10-2 and two team this year. It's just, can they take that next step? That's going to require that philosophical change. If that happens, boy, then whew, I'm feeling really good about it. But yeah. that, that's a big thing for me. And then defensively, it's just how quickly does Marcus Freeman kind of get caught up to speed in that relationship building? On and off the field. The on, off the field part I feel good about. I've heard some things about conversations he's had with players that it's just there's an immediate connection. There's an immediate trust being built. Like, hey, this guy shows up and all of a sudden he cares about me. Yeah. You know, he's asking me questions. I've never had anyone at Notre Dame ask me. Not about football. So I love hearing that. But it's more about that relationship on the field, that trust on the field that they have in him and that he has in them. And I think that's going to be big for me. That's those are my two big storylines. That that big picture are what I'm going to be focused on uh, coming out of the spring. All right. Hi, Tracy. <laughs> Thanks <Okay>. for joining. <laughs> I had to put that one up there. All right, Dylan's got another question, um, and we we also discussed this one a little bit. Do you have concerns about Kevin Austin being the same player after the surgery? Do you think 
that his injury riddled career is going to impact his skill set? I don't think he's had an injury riddled career. He didn't get hurt as a freshman and he didn't get hurt as a sophomore. He got suspended as a sophomore. He was healthy right. the whole year. Right. Uh, and this he year as a freshman. Yeah. I mean, he, he was, right. you know, yeah. And, and when he got taken out of the rotation for the most part late in the year, it wasn't because of injury. It was because right. of other stuff. Yeah. Uh, so for me, I don't, I don't think it's, it's, it's not injury riddled. He had an injury riddled 2020, which to Dylan's question does have me concerned about and, what he'll be. Cause and, and the specific injury that he had and yeah. the fact that he broke his foot, we know of twice and we're mm -hmm. hearing maybe a third, right? Um, that is the concerning part. It's yeah. the, it's the location of the injury. It's the fact that he continues to break mm -hmm. the foot. That's the concerning part, mm -hmm. uh, especially when you're a wide receiver. Well, any football, you need your feet. I mean, yes. it's, it is what it is. So that part does concern me, and I, I, the proof is going to be in the pudding. Uh, we're going to have to see him on the field making cuts, um, seeing if he can jump, you know, all of those different things. This is kind of this is a really important spring slash fall for him um to see i don't know how much we're going to see him this spring that's or, exactly well, right we're not going to we're not going to see him at all uh i don't know how much he's going to be able to play right this spring and, so, uh, and, and again yeah. it's not saying he, he's not gonna it's i don't i don't know don't i don't know. know how much he's going to play i mean he had surgery after the season which wasn't i don't see how ago. in three months right that he's all of a sudden gonna be able to play so i think he's going to be limited but yes dylan i i I have concerns about him. I think Braden Lindsay has had more of an injury riddled career. Agreed. But Kevin Austin is more of the immediate injury concern for me because of the, like you said, if it was just a torn ACL. Okay. I mean, that's just like not that devastating injury anymore. If it was like a badly sprained ankle or a hamstring. Okay. You give it time and rest foot injuries and, and Achilles injuries, which are, you know, obviously part of the foot, I believe. Um, uh, those injuries are are more can be more debilitating because it's a, there's a lot of small bones in your foot, right? And you're right. carrying a lot of weight, and you're putting on that those stress things. on there right. all the time, right? I mean, you're just and sometimes walking. once they break, it's just you're never going to be the same. Sometimes, sometimes, yeah, right. that's a it's a big question mark for me. Absolutely. Another recruiting question here from Michael: If linebacker Jay Sneed commits, do you take the first to commit of Cheeks and Tua Alamaka, or do you take both? And I remember well, I. I'm sure I butchered that name, but no, you actually did a decent job. Tui Alamaka. Um, I, I thought I heard you say at one point in our ramblings uh, in the past that Notre Dame could take five linebackers. Is that is that no? Is I that... said I wish Notre Dame okay. could. Take. Oh, okay. We had a question about <clears throat> would they take five linebackers? Okay, and I said I wish. Okay, I, I wish you could take all five of those guys because, uh, to your point, Michael, is there's a lot of versatility there, and if you were taking five linebackers and they could really only fit into two <clears throat> spots, that'd be stupid. But I think that when you look at Nolan Ziegler and Josh Burnham, there's two to three positions each with them. When you look at Junior Tui Alamaka, there's at least two positions he could play, including maybe becoming a Viper. Uh, same thing with Jalen Sneed. Jalen Sneed, to me, could be sort of a you know a hybrid third down player. Could he be that Sam linebacker? Yeah. Could he maybe even be a <clears throat> Rover if they're going to be more of a 4-2-5, which in this season we're expecting their base is going to be a 4-2-5. Sure. If they keep that going, could he be, you know, a, a rover in that defense? Maybe. Could he be a viper? Yeah. Uh, if you go to a three-three-five and you're going to have a, a, a like Nolan Ziegler as a rover and then a Sam, then you could play them both with two of those other guys. So there's a chance that eventually they could get into four guys that are linebackers on the field. So the versatility of that group is the important thing. Uh, and, and there's another question kind of on that that Dylan Hoffman Ooh. says, how excited are you about the possibility of landing Sneed? 
uh, Tui Alamaka, Burnham, and Ziggler. And yeah, I mean, very. But yeah, I'd yes. also throw in <laughs> Sebastian Cheeks in that conversation. <laughs> I think you could throw in Devin Jackson. Some people are very, very excited about Devin Jackson. Uh, so it's a, it's got a chance to be a great linebacking core. I've heard, I think it was Tom Loy. Somebody told me that Tom Loy wrote a story saying they're only going to take three linebackers. That would surprise me a little bit. Yeah. I think that might just be kind of recruiting uh, games gamesmanship to say, sure. hey, you know, sure. jump on board. I think they'll eventually take four. Uh, I don't think they – if 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 we had <laughs> unlimited scholarships in 2021, like if the NCAA said, hey, look, we're going to go 95 scholarships this year as teams kind of – deal with the the covid situation of yeah. the, the players coming back and then we'll go you know we'll be back to 85 by 2023 or something like that or you know where they extended you know go 95 and 21 and then 90 in 2022 right. and then you're back then you could do it because then you could have that one buffer year where you could have more guys on your roster and then after that bo bauer's gone Shane simon's gone those sure. guys are gone <clears throat> and it makes more sense i I, it, I wish they could take five i don't think it's possible numbers wise but if if they could figure out a way to make it work, Michael, then you you make it work because all five of those guys to me are top hundred talents mm -hmm. in my opinion. And Nolan Ziegler isn't there yet because his body's still developing, but his upside top hundred player, yeah. no question. They all got at least a four and a half up star grade for me, and some uh, several of them have five star upside grades. I mean, this is about this has a chance to be a special special linebacker class. How about a tight end question, uh, Brian? Let's see, at tight end, do they take the first to commit of Raritan or stays, or does Raritan not have a committable offer? Uh, he has a committable offer, from what I understand, and I, I don't think they would necessarily say no to either one of them. I think that Notre Dame would like to have both of those guys in this class, and and then you figure out a way to make it work. I, I think with um, looking at the current roster, there's some, you know, potentially some movement could happen between now and then. Uh, looking at other positions and things along those lines. I'm going to throw uh, that one out there yeah. as you're talking about yeah. these guys. And and so I think there's a, a chance they can play both because here's the thing about those two and Jack Nickel. Jack Nickel, to me, is a throwback tight end. He is a Brock Wright type of player. I don't mean what Brock Wright was in high school. I mean what Brock Wright was at Notre Dame. Yeah. Um, and blocker. Right. You know, yeah. Holden Stace is more in the Michael Mayer <clears throat> category. I'm not saying he's as good as Michael Mayer. I'm talking sure. about how he's used. Attached right. tight end can play some flex, occasionally play in the slot. Whereas, you know, Eli Raritan is more of a Tyler Eifert type. Again, style of play, not that not they're going to be yeah, first right. round yeah, draft picks. Yeah. Uh, style of play, and so so you can move him at X. He has some big receiver in him. To to Searcher Green's question, are they big receivers? No. Can they be utilized in certain situations in that role? Where if you're in a two tight end set, you put one tight end, you know, like let's say you have a situation where you've got two receivers on the field, right? Yeah. So we'll look at, you know, we'll look at the last two classes. So you've got Deion Colsey and Lorenzo Styles on the field to the right, and you've got Holden Stace in a slot position, like that number three position or a flex position. And then you've got Eli Raritan backside. So in a 12 personnel, you're trying to throw a different wrinkle, say, yeah. are you going to keep a corner backside? against our tight end, which now we have some matchup advantages to the field, or are you going to try to put a safety out there? And if you're going to pour a linebacker out there, and if you're going to do that, then we're throwing to the tight end. Yeah, right. Side. So, you know, putting that defense in that kind of bind, could they do that as a wrinkle with those guys? Absolutely. Would they be guys that would be big receivers all the time? No, they're not yeah. those guys. Uh, but, but again, if you're using that 12 personnel correctly, then you're essentially getting that same – impact from them even though they're not technically wide receivers 
We've got a, a philosophical slash XO question for the offensive line. Joseph wants to know, for offensive linemen with similar heights and weights, what makes one a tackle and the other a guard? It varies. So there's, there's to me, there's temperament and then there's athletic skill. The, the temperament aspect of it is some guys are just, I'm, I want to fire off and crush you. Guards. Those are not good guys to have a tackle. <laughs> yes, those are guards. Those are guards. <laughs> because in tackle, there, there's a level of patience needed <clears throat> at tackle. You're seeing things, they're, the twists and the stunts are, are right. tend to be longer developing things for you as a tackle. Uh, you have to have some patience where when you're in your pass set, you may not get to your third or fourth step before you're engaging a guy. Whereas at guard, you're engaging in step one. Immediate. Uh, and and you you can get away with a guy that's just a just a bull, just a I want to come off the like Quentin. I've made this about Quentin Nelson. This athletically, could Quentin Nelson play tackle? Yeah, I yeah, think so. Absolutely. Does he have the temperament for it? Not in how he plays now. He'd have to change his temperament to play tackle uh, in a modern offense. So that's the temperament aspect of it. I hope that makes sense. And then athletically, some guys are six, six, three Oh five and super athletic. And some guys are six, six, three Oh five. And they're a little stiff. They maybe don't have great lateral quickness. They may, they may have tight hips. Those aren't guys you want on an Island because they're going to face so much more. Uh, they got to plant and redirect. You know, if you're out on an Island and you got a guy speed rushing you on the outside and then he plants and makes an, a double move, you got to have the ability to quickly plant and work back inside. And if you don't have that lateral quickness, the, the the agility, the suddenness to stop and make that move, you're going to get beat on double moves all the time. Right. At guard, you're going to limit that in, in most offenses. Now, in air raids, a lot of times, because there's so much spacing, and I'm talking like the throw it all the time air raids, Right. you can get in some trouble there because there's so much space between the linemen that you're almost all on, a, on an island. You're almost it, all tackles. Yeah, right. like the, the old <clears throat> Texas Tech, you know, under Mike Leach offense. So, right. uh, and we don't see as much of that anymore. I mean, how mommy used to have, like, I mean, you could go, like, stretch your arms out and you're, like, not touching anybody or even coming right. They're both doing it and you're not – it, it would just get absurd, but you don't see as much of that anymore. But those guys, everything happens quicker. So you can get away with being a little bit tighter athletically. You can get away with, you know, maybe not having that lateral quickness where in, in a pass setting, but you can still somewhat be hindered there too, because in, in a zone offense, you can be hindered in a, in a gap scheme. It, it, you can be more plotting. Sure. And what I mean by that is in a zone scheme, a lot of times, you know, I'm, I'm a guard in your adventure of the center. Right. And so there's a guy, kind of lined up on your inside and we're working together. If we're working on an, on a stretch play, I got to get to that. I got to overtake that guy. So even though he is lined up on you, I've got to be quick enough and athletic enough to work with you and then eventually overtake him. Meaning I got to get to his outside shoulder, the one away from me. Well, if you're a stiff guy with, with bad lateral quickness, you're not going to be effective making that block. Right. In a gap scheme, a lot of it is just down and pull down and kick down and wrap. And a guy that maybe isn't quite good with the lateral quickness can be more effective in those type of schemes than he can in a team that wants to run a lot of mid-zone, outside zone, which are more fast swipe type plays right. that require some quickness and athleticism. And that's why I think you saw sometimes Tommy Kramer had some issues late in his career after the, the all the injuries he had. He just always he wasn't always laterally quick enough to get out and reach that guy. And it required Notre Dame to, to alter their scheme at times to make sure that they could get that done. Okay, we have a question about uh, some uh, assistant slash uh, analysts 
Um, are Cooks and or Lazinski staying with Notre Dame? So that would be Kerry season. Cooks, who is a defensive analyst, and Nick Lazinski, who is a Correct. graduate assistant. I believe as of right now, both are with Notre Dame. That's what I believe and as well. that is huge because those guys are two flat-out really good football minds and good football coaches. And if they can keep Kerry Cooks on staff, and if I'm Brian Kelly, I'm giving him a big pay raise to stay yep. as an analyst because yep. he's going to be able to help Chris O'Leary kind of come along. And Kerry Cooks is the kind of guy, in my opinion – I thought he should have got a, a got the job. I my understanding from talking to people is he wanted the job. The fact that he didn't just bolt right away says a lot about his character, his love for Notre Dame. The fact that he came back to Notre Dame yeah. uh, says a lot about that. But if you if if I'm Brian Kelly, I'm getting him a pay raise and say, hey, look, Kerry, please stay, help us out with this kid, uh, and and then all of a sudden he can maybe set himself up to get back into a full time coaching some other time. But yeah. I, I those guys are really talented football coaches. And in a day and age where you have to be good beyond your 10, having two guys like that on your offensive staff or defensive yep. staff, and they just hired Mike McCray as a GA. Remember Mike McCray that played at Michigan? He was a captain a few years ago at Michigan. Yeah. He's now one of their GAs. Okay. So I might have to uh, you know, tap his cell and stuff just to make sure he's not you know, sending old messages back to old, old, old Jim. Oh, no, I'm I'm just kidding. But no, that's yeah, another one gym. because he was a smart football player. You could just watch him play. You could just tell, yeah, <clears> leadership, <throat> fire. He was a really smart player because he wasn't a great athlete. So you have a guy like that as a GA. I think Brian Kelly is, is starting to understand how important it is to have your support staff not just be a bunch of fresh out of school kids that are running and getting donuts and drawing up scout team cards. You need guys that can flat out coach. You need guys that can evaluate as good as the guys you have and we're starting to see Notre Dame get to that point, especially on defense. Uh, I'm going to skip one, but then go back to it. But Ryan uh, is basically making a comment. Can we also point out that Notre Dame is a global brand? Name another university that the power compared to Notre Dame. I mean, they were about to go play in Ireland. Yeah, that, that was my point exactly. Is that back to the original? The that was the, 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 the name. name yeah. like this. That yeah. was my point exactly, is that Notre Dame Ryan, already let's has. let's be honest about something. Yeah. If Notre Dame wanted to play in a foreign country every year, they could absolutely. They could. You don't think? Remember, they played in Japan once. I think it was like during this. Was I don't think it was during the regular season, but it was during the Holtz era. They played well, a game in Japan. That's right. And and you then know? Holtz took a bunch of uh, guys that used to play, kind of an all star. That might have been it. That might have been what, it. That's what. Yeah, because been my it. old head coach went. Uh, but yeah. yeah, he he but took a group over there. You think they could do a game them. in Rome if they yeah. wanted to? I absolutely. Mean, that's the thing is Notre Dame well, has a U- yes. Notre Dame. Well, I don't know what kind of football game you're trying to play there, I mean, buddy. Come on, I'm, man. I'm kidding. But no. But Ryan's point is correct. This Notre Dame is unique and. You know, non-Notre Dame fans and Notre Dame haters can get all in their feelings all they want. You know, oh, you're a beast. Right. Oh, okay, whatever. I'm not. Yeah. I'm just speaking <laughs> facts. Okay. You know, I mean, there's not many teams that could go play a game in a foreign country and, and sell the stadium out. And Notre Dame can. Yep. And that's what makes them unique. And they they have done a good job of, of taking advantage of that in a lot of ways. They have when it comes to TV and branding and making money. If they do that with this this name, image, and likeness thing, I'm telling you, it could be a game changer for him. And Ryan's spot on. It's, it's a global brand. It's not just a – Alabama is a football brand. Notre Dame is beyond that. Whether people want to admit it or not, they are. All right. I scrolled way down to look at the new comments, and now I'm lost. But, nope, there so it here, is. Here's one. It. Okay, that's what I was going to throw up. Good. So Dylan Hoffman asks, are we in pursuit of any safeties for 2022 names? I've heard that'd be Jaden Bellamy, uh, Jaden Mangum, Jake Pope, a lot of J's and obviously Xavier uh, Nwankpa is the pipe dream. I don't think he's a pipe dream per se. I don't think Notre Dame 
it's it's going to be tough, but I wouldn't say he's necessarily a pipe dream. If they can keep him in the mix enough to get him on campus, that would be a, a big thing. Um, I think they have shown attention attention to Sherrod Colville. I just don't think it's being reported a whole on a whole lot. Um, as far as the the p- possibility of bringing in Xavier Nwankpa, again, they are they are in it. They I would say they're in his top three or four if he had one, just based on his comments and. Sometimes when a kid is asked a lot about who are the top schools you're talking to, Notre Dame's always in that first group. Ohio State's his leader. They have to get him on campus again. That's going to be the big thing is they got to get him on campus. So are the odds slim right now? Yeah, I'd say probably 30, 70, but they're in it. It's not like this pipe dream of, you know, some player. It's like, you know, there's other guys that, they, yeah, they're in on, but they have no shot at that guy. That's not Xavier. I think they are recruit paying attention to Sherrod Coville. I just don't think he necessarily does a ton of media. Uh, they're on him. I've, I've talked to people. They like him. Uh, Jaden Mangum's a guy they like a lot. Jake Pope. Uh, KJ Winston, who is a safety from uh, the Maryland, D.C. area, is another guy Notre Dame is in on a lot. That They like him a lot. Uh, that's another name to consider. Uh, Jaden Mangum's a guy I like a lot. Jake Pope's a lot guy. Like a, both of those guys were on my dream class sort of breakdown. Uh, Devin Moore, a, floor, a, a corner safety from Naples that projects to be a safety in college. That's another guy that Notre Dame is in on. Uh, they made his group of, I think, five. He made released like a five or six, top five or six. Notre Dame was in that. So there's a, a there's a good number of safeties they're in on. I just don't think all, some of these guys are really super highly ranked. So maybe they're not getting the love. But yeah, they're they're good football players. Jaden Manga may not be ranked high. Jake Pope may not be ranked high. But those guys are darn good football players. Same with Sherrod Koval. I mean, and of course he's from he's from Virginia. So I mean, shock. That that's another that's another thing that you have to consider. That's another plus for him. The, this is kind of a, a big picture, um, and you could probably talk about this for an hour, hour and a half. Uh, but where do you think the twenty-two Notre Dame recruiting class will be ranked when it's all said and done? You're obviously there's a lot of speculation into yeah, this question, and, and I'm not going to do that. I mean, it's a great question from uh, from Notre Dame. Two, they're in good position. More. They're in a good position with a lot of guys. But they're, they got to close. They're they're where they rank right now is about where they always rank. So oh, they're up to number two. Well, they were up to number one at one point in time last year and finished like eighth, right? It's about how you close. Yeah. And Notre Dame has got, I think when you when you look at last year, I would say they're in a better place now to finish with a top five class than they were last year. The reason I say that is this. Early last year, they pretty much had all their big-time recruits already in the class early. Tyler Buckner, Lorenzo Styles, Blake Fisher, Deion Colsey, um, uh, Kane Barong, Gabriel Rubio, most of those guys were committed really early. And so you say, well, the, and they they weren't in position to necessarily close on the big guys. Well, you look at this year's class. They've already got some some top recruits in the class, right? Joey Tanona, to me, is a top 200 guy. Um, Tyson Ford's a top 100 guy. You've got Josh Burnham's a top 100 guy. You've got some, you know, Jaden Mickey's a top 250 guy. Uh, Jadarian Price is a top 250 guy. Ty Chan's a top 200 guy. So they've already got some um, relatively highly ranked recruits in the class now, which is why they rank, you know, between second and fourth, second and fifth of all the analysts. But there's so many, to your point, Vince, big time players still on the board. Yes. That there's a much greater Because of everything that's going on. Right. Yeah, right. Because what happens is, is, is you're <laughs> number two, and then you slowly start to fall down. It's not that your class has gotten worse. It's just other teams start adding players. Right. Well, Notre Dame is in a situation where they're really only about halfway done. Sure. And and how the, the quality of, of what they do moving forward. So if they get junior, if they get two of, you know, junior two, two Alamaka, Jaden Sneed, Jalen Sneed, 
and Sebastian Cheeks, they're all three top 100 recruits. Just Sebastian Cheeks is like slightly outside, but to me, he's a top 100 recruit. Um, if they get two of those guys, now all of a sudden, you know, that's going to lock you into that spot for now. If they go out and can add another highly ranked receiver, if they can get one of the big three running backs, they're all top 100 recruits. Yeah. Right. If you can add a couple of those highly ranked top 150 linemen that we talked about in the dream class uh, podcast I did yesterday, video I did yesterday. So that's going to be the key to, to, to them staying in that top five category. Whereas in the past, they would load up their best players are already committed. Yeah, they're going after so many more highly ranked guys than they have in the past that I feel a whole lot better about their ability, their, their ability to close because the margin is so much wider now. Whereas in the past, it's like, okay, there's five studs on the board and they all play different positions and hopefully you can get three or four of them. Well, that's not going to happen. Now it's, you got four or five studs at running back <laughs> or you know three studs at running back. You got to get one of them. Now you got four studs at linebacker. You got to get two of them. Yeah. You know, you got three great players at corner. You just got to get one of them. And so I think they're in a much better position because they are so aggressive, especially on defense. Yes. To, to having a, defense, a phenomenal though. class on defense. And then you've got some players in your class, like Aiden Gabera, who is a three-star now. But be. if he's a three-star when it's all said and done, it's because people aren't paying attention or there's some funny business going on. Because he's already outplayed three-star. in his. Because if you don't know, J Aiden Gabera is playing his junior season right now. Right. They're playing a spring season, and he has been a freaking monster. So far, bigger, stronger, faster, and dominant. Uh, so he could, he should see a big jump uh, in there too. And that's also key: is your top players have to stay top sure, players, absolutely, and those other guys have to come up. So that's going to be the key to it. Offensive question, and I know you love offense. Here we go. I know I love offense. Talking offense, what will it take to throw the ball downfield? Did Book just not do it? It seemed to be more of a plan, uh, i.e. ND love the 7 to 10 yard crossing routes. I'm leading off on this one. Go for it. Uh, there were multiple opportunities to throw the ball downfield. Um, was it a centralized part of the game plan? Maybe not. But were there guys running open downfield? Yes. Yes, there were. Um, and I, a small example, okay? Uh, Avery Davis down the field, uh, big play against Clemson, right? They play Clemson the second time. He's wide open again. They don't hit him. And the pocket wasn't as clean. And that was a big okay. thing. No, no. I'm saying that was a big thing for Ian Book. Is well, and there you he go. would make yes. that throw if there was a super clean pocket and a one on and a clear one on one. Right. If it would, you know. So for me, it was more about the quarterback. Um, could they open it up more with the plan? Yes, absolutely. But I felt like the trigger just wasn't being pulled enough from the quarterback position. Go. I'm going to somewhat disagree with you on that. I, I agree okay. that that was the <clears> outcome. <throat> I, I Where I disagree, though, Vince, is that I don't think it was just because of the quarterback. I think that Brian Kelly has beaten in don't turn the ball over so hard that okay. they've gone too far. There's an unwillingness to throw the ball. If you go back and look at the first game against Duke, Ian Book made a throw to Michael Mayer on a drag route that was like he didn't make another throw like that the rest of the year. And he yeah. fit it between he, – he rushed the read because – not rushed the read. He saw it was going to happen, so he rushed his footwork and got the ball out quickly and fit it in between three guys. I think you know the play I'm talking about. It was in the first half. Well, then he threw two picks after that. Yeah. One was a pick. The other one got called back. But I think that was one of those things where it was like, okay, not doing that anymore. I took right. some chances, and, I, and, I, and, I and we turned it, it over. Can't do and it. I can't do that anymore. Y yeah, you want to make sure, hey, man, like – don't make that bad read. Don't make that throw, but without beating it so much that he's afraid to make those throws. I also think schematically they hurt themselves too, Vince. Is yes, those guys getting open, but I think the way that they teach reads, he wasn't looking 
for those deep shots as much. But I also think because they didn't, they use so much 12 and 13 personnel. And I, and I did an article about this at irishbreakdown.com. If you haven't read it, check it out because the numbers are staggering. They release their backs into routes so infrequently and their second and third tight ends into routes so infrequently that it then makes it easier to have more guys deep to take away some of those throws. And when those guys are coming open, they're coming open later because of the fact that teams can be a little deeper that I think by then Ian Book had already moved on from that deep. He wasn't even looking at it anymore. Yeah, right. And so I think there are things schematically that they don't scheme enough for those big plays. That would be my thing is, yes, That's guys fair. are open, but I don't think they scheme enough well, to create those openings. And and let me, yeah, let me, let me piggyback off of that as well because when you're talking about scheming for an opening – there's times where that's your read, right? right. You, you've got a one-on-one. You've got a, a matchup that you like. You know, whatever it is, that's your read. Throw mm-hmm. it and see what happens because you've got dudes that can go up and mm-hmm. make plays. And I don't see that happening enough. Yeah, you know. Now, and I were there times? Sorry, go ahead, Vince. I was to say I realize that's simplified football, mm-hmm. uh, and that's not always going to work. But there are times where it does work. Yeah. Like, dude you're faster than the guy standing here. You need to just go and Ian, that's where you're throwing it. Well, and some, and that's what, that's what prep work is for, right? Like, so we know in second and two, if we line up like this, we feel pretty good about Mm -hmm. our chance of getting this one-on-one. Right. Right. So in that situation, you call that play. That's, that's what coaching is. I mean, I I remember watching uh, the, you know, the NFL network does, or the NFL films does these great things. And they were going back and they were talking about uh, the Broncos Falcons Super Bowl. Right. Okay. And Eugene Robinson was doing something. And they, they do this thing where like Elway, Gary Kubiak and Mike Shanahan are like scheming this one play because they know in this look, when they run this route combination, Eugene Robinson is going to do this and they're going to bang a post route behind it. There was no read. Elway right. was doing a bootleg exactly and he was right. throwing a bomb to Rod Smith. That was it. And they knew what they were going to get because of pregame preparation. But then also, hey, look, he's being super aggressive right now in this game. He's trying to pick because remember, he picked Elway off the year before in the Super Bowl because he played for the Packers. He picked that way off in the soup in the in the end zone, and he was a very aggressive safety. And they're like, let's take advantage of this. And so they, you know, this whole time when the defense is on the field, they're scheming and planning and drawing up this play. How do you get it? And then 80 yard touchdown and ball game. And those are the things that have to happen too. I mean, you have to you have to scheme your way into it. And if you have a feel like, hey, we think we know how we can get this safety manipulated this way. Clemson did that against Notre Dame in the ACC title game. They had Kyle Hamilton as the free safety. And they, they were getting Sean Crawford playing the slot. So Clemson came out in a series and they said, Trevor, you're he looked off Kyle Hamilton to the right hard. Yeah. And as soon as Kyle Hamilton turned his hips, he came right back to the post route to Mari Rogers. There's no way he comes back to the backside post route that quickly. If they didn't already say, Hey, look, that's where we you're are going to take this shot. And if we get Hamilton off the off the hash, you're coming right back to it. They knew they could get another name into that. Yes. And they were going to try to manipulate that. So and if Hamilton stays back, then you've got a crossing route that you dump it off to. So right. you always have your outlet. And I don't think Notre Dame does enough stuff like that right, right. where they're scheming their way into it because in, they did it more under Chip Long, and I hope that they do it more under Tommy Reese. I think this is a Brian Kelly thing. He wanted this offense to be ground and pound, ball yeah. control. We're going to win with defense. We're going to run not, the ball. Not he is chances. perfectly fine beating yeah. Louisville 12-7. to 7, Whereas yeah, he was. Absolutely. Nick Saban and, and Dabo Sweeney are going to be like, good Lord, if we play like this against somebody that has a pulse, we're going to be in trouble. <laughs> Right. You're right. Because what did right. you do? That's exactly how you played on offense against Clemson in the ACC title yeah. game. And that's exactly how you played on offense against Alabama. And you lost because your defense is not going to hold those offenses to tw- seven points. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay. Dylan has a very long question. So it's a two parter. So uh, hold your water until we get to the second part, Brian. Mm-hmm. 
All right. Tom Loy wrote an article about Notre Dame still being in play for Danny Dennis Sutton. Is that worth getting excited about or how steep of an uphill battle is that? Here's the follow-up. Is three defensive ends the number, or you think they'd take four? Ford, Gobera, Wesselak, uh, Tafiti, Sutton. I suppose Ford Sutton could have the size to eventually move inside. Go. Okay, so no, I don't think that that's one worth getting excited about. I think that that's Tom Loy from Irish Illustrated. Um, I don't think Tom is is blowing smoke up your you-know-what because there is there is a level of interest there. Sure. But there so far, to me, that would be a – a, 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 one of the biggest upsets Notre Dame would ever pull off. Yeah. I don't know if if that's the kind of guy. Having said that, if they get a DJ Wesolak or a or a Teba Tafiti who's from Hawaii, then they're done at three. They're done with three. Yeah. But talking to sources, they're still going to recruit studs. Cyrus Moss is one of those. Room for studs, baby. Danny Dennis Sutton is one of those. Yep. So if they had three and Cyrus Moss or Danny Dennis Sutton wanted to then come, they would go to four. Yeah. They're not planning to go to four. If they get those three, and I think Wesolak is the is the is the number one pick right now. If you get Ford, Gabera, and Wesolak, they're really they're they love that. That's a great yeah. trio. But they're also at the point now where it's like, look, if we can get a game changer, we're gonna take a game changer. I think Danny Danny Sutton is super raw, but he could be a game six six two forty freaky athlete. You don't right. say no to that. And the same thing with Cyrus Moss. You don't say no to that. And that's the position that Notre Dame is in. All right. Let's see here. Do you project uh, Weselak to ND after he was offered by Alabama? I mean, look, when Bama gets in the mix, that's always uh, one that gives you pause. But I still feel really good about what Notre Dame is with that one. Okay. Love that. Uh, Kind of a a broader question from DJ. Will this year's linebacking core be good enough? I want to lead off on this one. I think there's talent here. There's talent at the linebacker position. I still think there's question marks as to how the linebackers are going to be used. So I'm not sure I have an answer. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm not sure I have a full answer because it just depends on how Marcus Freeman wants to use the linebacker group and who he's going to play with who, um, you know, who takes over that will position. Are they going to have, you know, a traditional Rover? I mean, all of those, there's so many questions about linebacker. Then I don't know. I, I don't know mm-hmm. the answer to that. They've got talent. There's talent there. I think they can be good. And I think Marcus Freeman is going to put them in a position to be successful. Mm-hmm. Um, but there, there's too many question marks to really cement a decision on whether they're going to be solid or not. Yeah. My it simple as this. Can they be can they be good enough? Yeah. Yes. I think they have the athleticism to be very good. Will they? I, I have no idea. Yeah, exactly. But I'm confident in it because look, anytime you have volume. Right of talented players, right. the odds of things working out for you are greater. Yep. Because it's not like, well, hopefully this guy pans out, but if he doesn't, we're screwed because his backup's a walk-on who right. shouldn't be playing at this school. Not not all walk-ons are that way. I'm just I'm making a point. Yeah. So yeah, will they be good enough? I don't know. But I I have greater confidence in the linebacking core than 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 I than I did a month ago, just because I'm thinking through it. You know, mm-hmm. Shane struggles. Simon's Shane Simon's struggles. <laughs> Is that his middle name Ooh. now? Is Shane, Shane struggles. Simon. Shane Simon's struggles last year. I think are going to benefit him because he yeah. got so much opportunity. Got, yeah, absolutely. But if he doesn't step up. Marist is going to benefit from sure. all the playing time. They had some guys like that that had never really played before, not real minutes, just special teams. So I think those things are going to benefit. I'm more confident um, that they're going to be good. And I also think Marcus Freeman, the new voice, I think sometimes a new, yeah, no matter absolutely. how great the previous coach was, sometimes Doesn't a matter. new voice can just yep. shake things up enough to Agreed. to get him over the over the hump. And I think Nick Lazinski staying is also going to be big for this Huge. football team too. Yep, nice little bridge. 
Okay. Um, I w- this is sim- this is the one I was looking for from before. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are you wanting to see? Not here at Springfield. Well, we're not going to see anything. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I didn't mention O line. I'm I am very interested to hear how the dominoes are falling on the offensive line. Uh, I meant to say that the first time we answered this question, so I wanted to get that part in. Uh, ben has a question, Brian, about the offense. Who cannot afford to have a poor spring on offense? That's my guy right there, though. By the way, Ben Hurt. That's my guy. I like that name. Yes, by the way. that's a good. He's a good dude. One good of the name. best best guys I've ever met. Mm-hmm. Um, ben, I think it's a long list because there is so yeah. much depth. I mean, I'm, I'm as you as Vince was answering the question about the linebackers. I'm I'm putting this list together of of this is just spring, right? Guys are going to play in the spring. Yes, Brayden Lindsey cannot afford to have a bad spring because uh, he'll get passed up. He can't afford to be hurt again. I have an article about this, uh, my last chance you article, five offensive players that have to step up this spring or they're going to be at risk of losing their jobs. He's at the top of the list because he could be a game changer on offense or he could find himself getting passed up. I hope yep. he has a great spring. Name a, Pick a veteran offensive lineman, and he is a guy that can't <laughs> have, afford to have he's a He's on that spring. list. Yeah, absolutely. And that includes Josh Lug. I mean, Josh yep. Lug, and, and for different – I don't think Josh Lug is going to get beat out. It's more about if he doesn't have a big spring, that hurts the line. So yeah. his is a little different situation. Houston Griffith cannot afford to have a poor spring. Uh, Shane Simon and Drew White cannot afford to have poor springs. Jason Adamiola cannot have afford to have a poor spring because those are all guys that, to me, have young players breathing down their necks. I don't think Jason Adamiola is going to have a poor spring. I think he's going to have a great spring. I'm just saying he can't afford to have one. Uh, I've already said how great I think that tandem could be um, in a in a in our po- we, we actually recorded this beforehand. Uh, it'll be out tomorrow where I talk about the, what I think Riley Mills and Jason Adamiola could be this year, yeah, and it could be special. Yeah. But he can't because, look, you've got Riley Mills and Gabriel Rubio. Yeah. You can't afford to have a poor spring. So though, to me, at the top, those are the guys that I would say. Um, and, of course, if you're a, 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 a veteran quarterback not named Jack Cohn, you can't afford to have a poor spring because you're going to you find will, yourself getting passed you up get by way past Tyler up. Buckner real yeah. fast. All right, let's see here. I like this Wisconsin question from Dylan. What would your thoughts be if Notre Dame takes all three guys from Wisconsin early win against the Badgers? That'd be a early, it would be a great win. I don't think <laughs> I would love that just from a look. They're all great players. That would be Joe Bruner, who's a who's sort of a big right tackle guard. Billy Shrouth, who's kind of a guard tackle hybrid. And then Carson Hinsman, who I think is probably the best center, one of the best center project prospects in the country, along with Joey Tonona, by the way, who Notre Dame already has. But Joey Tonona could play center guard or right tackle. The reason is, is that those two of those three guys for sure project to be interior players. And all three of them could eventually end up being interior players. And to me, that's way too guard heavy. That's way too interior heavy when you put them with Joey Tonona. Look, the reality is is you can take five tackle types and move them inside. You can't always take guard bodies or, or guard guys who project better at guard and move them to tackle for the reasons we talked about at the beginning of the show. So that's why I wouldn't necessarily love that. But if they got two of the kids from Wisconsin – and and added a you know a a, a George Fitzpatrick a, a a a Jake Taylor a Zach Rice to that mix oh yeah I'd feel really good about that I'd feel really good about that <laughs> sure um th- this is a fun question because we've talked about this a bunch and Maddie K is always bringing bringing the good stuff uh how could the offense implement all these weapons like Austin Lindsey Watts Johnson Colsey Styles etc and still had the physical run game that has won about ten games a year for us thoughts. Watch Oklahoma. I'm being serious. I'm not being. Watch Oklahoma. 
Oklahoma has run for more yards than Notre Dame most of the last five years. This past year, they didn't. They had a, a you know young team. I think they lost like four starting offensive linemen. It was a weird year. Redshirt freshman quarterback. They averaged 179.7 yards per rush or per game. So that'd be a heck of a heck of a rushing percentage there per play. Uh, but they averaged 4.7 yards per rush. Uh, Notre Dame was at 5.0 and averaged over 200 yards. But in 2019, Oklahoma, with Jalen Hurts, a quarterback, averaged 240 rushing yards per game, 5.95 yards per rush. In 2018, with Kyler Murray, they averaged 247 rushing yards per game and 6.6 yards per rush. The year before that, in 2017, they averaged 217.8 yards per game and 5.6 yards per rush. In 2016, 236.8 yards per game, 5.4 yards per rush. In a couple of those years, they had Heisman Trophy winning quarterbacks, and they were averaging over 200-some yards per game. Part of that was because in with, with Kyler Murray in 2018, you had a quarterback that could run. Sure, You did not have that in, when you had Baker Mayfield there, and they still averaged over 200 yards a game. So that was the difference between like 217 and 240 was you had a quarterback that could run. So to me, it's just it's about the tempo. It's about more plays. You, you run more plays, you run five, 10 more plays a game, and you stretch that over the course of a season, you're averaging, you're having over 100 more plays onto your, the end of your season. That means if you are, if you have a legitimate rotation system, that means those are more plays for those guys. Those are more opportunities. And look, throwing the football does not require you to be a passive team. And that's the greatest thing that the RPOs have brought, in my opinion, beyond just the, the, um, the ability to always be right. Yeah, it's that you can literally call a pass play where your linemen are firing off the ball. Mm. If you're a team like 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 Texas Tech used to be, like Washington State is now, it can be very hard to be a physical running team and throw the ball 50 times a game because it, there's so much pass setting and pass setting and its very nature in those offenses is a passive thing to do. That's correct. It is a it catch back literally, right. and and it, it's not you you know. It, way Notre Dame did on her stand, they were physical pass blockers, but they're still a pass setting. And then the next player, you're, you're going to come out and you're just going to have to fire off. It can be challenging. Sure. In RPOs, you may throw the ball 40 times a game, but 15 of those throws were where the offensive linemen were run blocking. Right. You know, so you can still be physical. You can still be aggressive. You can still get after it. North Carolina is another example. Look how explosive they were with their pass game. They were well over 300 yards a game passing the football. They had 2,000-yard running backs. <laughs> right. And they both averaged over seven yards a carry. So I think, to, to your point, Maddie, is, is I think that's why Notre Dame would be so good with an RPO offense. Because if you are getting the ball outside to Austin, Lindsey, Watts, Johnson, Colsey, Styles, Mayer, Barong, all those guys – and you're still physical with your five to six man run game inside. How do you defend that? Yeah. As good as Notre Dame is on the offensive line, if you're because what this what the RPOs do is it 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 forces you to spread the field. If you're if you're doing more, you know, three receivers or moving your tight ends out of the box, it forces teams to spread the field. And now all of a sudden you have even more room to run. So Kyron Williams is still going to get his hundred, you know, twelve hundred yards, but he's going to do it on 25, 30 less carries. That's that's great. You know, yeah. and that makes you a better offense. So that's how I hope I hope I answered your question. But to me, that's how that's how you do that. Connor has a very, very broad question, and we will be covering this topic all through the summer. Mm -hmm. um, but he wants to know how uh, have you heard anything recently about how Notre Dame's 21 opponents are shaping up? It's so early. It's I mean, really early. We don't know how it's like it's like, uh, you know, I may say, hey, look. You know, if you'd asked me a week ago if Notre Dame was playing Georgia, boy, I tell you what, that JT Daniels, George Pickens combination is going to be lethal. Well, then he tears his ACL the other day. 
So it's just we have to get through spring, Connor. I think I, I, just early on, I, I think it's going to be a, a good schedule, but not a brutal schedule. <clears throat> Wisconsin has a ton of questions. Their offense was abysmal last year. Yeah. USC lost a ton of players. They all North got Carolina didn't lose a ton of players, but the few guys they lost were really good. Yeah. So there's it's just so early. You don't know who's going to step up. It, look, every team in the country right now is asking the same questions about their team that we're asking about in Notre Dame. It's yeah, just the absolutely. positions are going to be different. Yep. So it's yep, early, but yep, we yep. will have a lot this summer where we'll be breaking down the opponents. And there's a lot of uh, mutual admiration society between uh, Dylan Bennett and Dylan Hoffman. They they love each other, and that's mm-hmm. awesome. Uh, my son's name is Dylan, so I'm I on board. I can't be upset about that. You know, I, I, I talked to someone the other day whose name is not only Brian, but Brian with a Y. He's like my Ooh. new best friend. There's so Ooh. few of us. We have to yeah. stick together. You do have to stick together. Um, searcher, another broad question. What coaches out there that people think would do better at Notre Dame? It's a small list, I would imagine. Yeah, games. yeah. I mean, look. Anyone that says, "Hey, get rid of Brian Kelly," you, you need to have you better have something in your back pocket. Yeah, yeah. Know? Um, you know, I I think there's obviously Urban Meyer and you he's know busy. guys like that, but uh, <laughs> he's busy. Yeah, Steve Spurrier went to the NFL too. How long did that last? We'll see how it goes for Urban. It's a little it's hey. a little different coaching in in NFL than it, it is, is in college. It is, it is. But I'm, I'm um, I'll be keeping my eye out for sure. Yeah. So. I, I mean, I, I, I'm hesitant to kind of get into my list because then it seems like I'm being critical of Brian Kelly, but I, I think Jeff Brom would be a great fit at Notre Dame. I think he'd do a great job at Notre Dame. Offensive genius and also a, a strong recruiter. Um, you know, I mean, there's there's guys like, you know, Ryan Day, but he's not leaving Ohio State. You know, I mean, I just – to me, is this is an interesting time because over the next couple of years, we're going to see guys emerge. If, if you'd have asked who the coach was that was going to replace – Charlie Weiss in 20, 2007, no one would have been talking about Brian Kelly. Sure. But then in 28, 2008, 2009, he then kind of took that next step and became sure. a, a beast. So yep. I, there's some coaches I have on my radar. Jeff Brom's one, Matt Campbell's <clears throat> one. Oh, you're getting into um, it. You know, guys like Marcus. But I think another thing is uh, I want to see what Marcus Freeman does as the defensive coordinator sure. the next couple of seasons. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, if Brian Kelly were to leave – and that's what it would be. It would be about him deciding it's time. Because you, you just never know when that light goes. I mean, I don't think Bob Stoops went into his final season thinking, this is my final season. But the competitor's like, hey, you know what? I just don't have the juices anymore, man. I don't have that same excitement to go out and and, and do this and do that. And, and I know it's time to walk away. And, and you know, if Brian Kelly hits that point and he, he walks away, there's going to be plenty of good options. But some of those guys like Jeff Brom need to have good years this year. Because as sure. good of a coach yeah. as I think he is, you can't go 4-8 and eight and get hired in Notre Dame. You know, right. I mean, that's just – that's just the reality of it, and and that's kind of what where where we're at with this. Uh, Michael Johnson uh, would like to know. I wonder if he's the sprinter. That that would be cool. Uh, how can we get four to five five star kids that are in the top fifty? Well, number one, Michael, I don't obsess about that too much because I think those top fifty kids a lot of times th- those are just guys that happen to be more ready. They're they're more physically advanced and they're more ready. Uh, how do they get more guys like that? I think it comes down to things we've talked about before. Brian Kelly has to be more involved. He has to be more involved early. They have to get sooner. They have to get faster starts on kids. They can't wait till kids are juniors and seniors to really get on them. Well, guess what? Those two things have been happening the last couple months. Brian Kelly has been been mentioned with recruits talking to them more in the last month. And I said this on the radio show last night. 
I've heard Brian Kelly's name mentioned with recruits talking to him directly. Right, which is huge. In not just 2022, but 2023 kids. Yeah. We had a little notebook yesterday at IrishBreakdown.com where Keon Keeley, who is a 2023 defensive end, talked about how he's already talked to Coach Kelly. Yeah. That's big time. That hasn't yeah. happened in the past. No. But that with out maybe there. a kid here, a kid there. But we're hearing it constantly. That's yeah. a great sign. That's yes. needed. He doesn't have to be Ryan Day where he's calling kids every day. And right, that's just who Ryan Day is. But right. but Coach Kelly has to be a part of the process. Agreed. And, and that's big, in my opinion. And so, and just kids, it's all part of the conversation here. Right. Jeff wants to know if uh, Notre Dame's in on any of the five star ranked players right now. Honestly, I couldn't tell you, Jeff, because I don't look at really the, the rankings that much. I, I'll look at rankings when I'm entering in them and in, entering them into a story or when I do my prospect profiles, but I don't pay a lot of attention to them. Um, to me, there's kids. I look for upside. I look for ceilings. What, you know, and there's plenty of kids with five star upside that Notre Dame is on. I think Zach, I think Zach Rice is in that category. I think Rivals has him as a top player. Um, I think Xavier Nwankpa, I believe, is a guy that is in there, but I'd have to go back and look, really look through them to, to kind of see who who are those guys that other outlets have ranked high. But I do know that they're after a, hot, a lot of high-level kids. And to Michael's Michael's point, my, the original question from Michael Johnson, it's, look, it's about getting guys that have the tools to be elite players, not guys that you, you – know, like. I don't think anyone thought Will Fuller was going to be who Will Fuller was because he got sure. two-tenths of a second faster in college. You don't project that. Right. But you can look at a Jeremiah Wusu and say, well, I think this kid's got a chance to be something. Notre Dame did that with Adi Ogundiji. That's why they went and got him to flip from Western Michigan. I remember talking to Notre Dame coaches when they got him. They're like, hey, I know we flipped him from Western Michigan, but just watch the film. I'm telling you. And you watch the film, you're like, okay, I kind of see it. It's, it's, he's got a long way to go, but sure. I, I see the tools. And, and so you're seeing more of those kind of guys that Notre Dame is getting that maybe they're not highly ranked, but they have that ceiling. And and that's what Notre Dame has turned out. I mean, look, I wouldn't trade three-star Adi Takumba Ogundiji for either of Alabama's five-star starters, LeBron Ray or Justin Aboigbe. Go look at their stats. Go watch their film. Tell me if you would have traded them. Would you trade Dylan Moses for Jeremiah Wusukoromoa? I wouldn't. <laughs> right. And the guy that dominated Notre Dame in the in the in the playoff game on the defensive line was Christian Barmore. He was ranked like, ranked like 170th, right? So it's about finding that ceiling. Recruiting guys that, that that have that high ceiling, more so than the guys that are top 50 players right now. All right. Let's see here. Uh, David wants to give you some props here. Uh, when you were on the Mark Rogers uh, earlier this week, I felt that I felt the hostility. I was ready to crack some skulls. You held your composure better than me. Are Miami fans just lost? I think Miami fans are still living in the eighties and nineties. Uh, but honestly, how I hold my composure is I don't read the comments. I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I've, I used to read Twitter responses to me all the time. And I just lived fired up. I just, and I'm just yeah, like, you I did. don't care. You did. I just, I don't, I mean, Vince, you know, I just, okay, whatever. I'll, I'll <laughs> I don't care. Um, and so when I'm on Mark's show, if he pulls a comment to the front, I'll answer it. But, but I also look, I love that passion because yeah, if fans weren't passionate about their programs, I think some people cross the line when they want to get in, you know, throw insults. And there's too many adults that don't know how to talk like adults. And that doesn't mean not being fired or passionate, or arguing, or debating, or telling me I don't know what I'm talking about. But then you want to start saying, you know, calling people names and stuff like that. That's childish, and I don't have time for that. Right. But, but I love that passion because look, if y'all weren't passionate about Notre Dame, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast. You wouldn't be listening to this live show. I love the passion because. I'm passionate about college football. I was passionate about Notre Dame for I got in trouble once my second year of coaching. It was 
it was the the day where the the in 2002 when they beat Florida State. Okay. They were playing at Florida State, and they were supposed to get smoked. And and uh, I had this flip phone, and it was when like you could first start getting like alerts and stuff on your phone, like or you could go to the internet. And we were playing Gettysburg College, and we were beating the crap out of Gettysburg. It was like forty-one nothing. So I'm over there, kind of checking my flip phone to see the score of the Notre Dame Florida State game. And some parent saw me do it and narked on me. Told the head coach, <laughs> they didn't know what you were doing though. Yeah, yeah checking the I don't care. Mind your business. I'm checking Notre yeah. Dame score. You know, but uh, in 2005, we had a game. I believe it was against Avert College, and it was the day of the Notre Dame USC game in uh, 2005. So I had the video guy go into the coach's office during halftime and set up the we had a big projector and we could connect our our vcrs to the internet and so after the game i went and shook the players hands i said hi to a couple parents and then i sprinted to the locker room (laughs) and i stepped into the locker room at the minute where tommy zibikowski is receiving that punt and he runs it back for touchdown and i'm going crazy and everybody's like oh you're really fired up by the averwin don't care that's in the past we won the game they suck (laughs) it's about notre dame usc so i have passion for notre dame and I love the fact that fans do. And if they didn't, then I'd have to find a real job where I'd have to go like work at like Costco or something or do something where I'd have to like put a tie on. And I don't, I could, I'm working wearing a ball cap and an old football coaching shirt. Like, yeah, and it's you. because of y'all have passion. Yeah. So absolutely. that stuff doesn't bother me. The people that cross the line and call names, that says more about them than it does me. And it just, it, it used to bother me a lot. Yeah. It doesn't anymore. I got more important things to worry about in my life. All right, Big Jim wants to talk about Jack Cohn. He says, I think Cohn is going to surprise some people can throw, can run, can think. I agree. I mm-hmm. And I said this in our, our podcast that's going to come out tomorrow. So we, we did a little segment on Jack Cohn, so I'm not going to dive too deeply into this. I was against them bringing him in and anointing him the starter. I was not happy about it when it happened. Uh, I understood them bringing in a veteran presence. I, I got that because of what the room looked like with, with Phil Dracovic transferring. You, you lost – the veteran presence in there. And I, and I, mm-hmm. and you don't know what you're going to get from Clark. So um, I was fine with that, but the anointing of the starter, I, I wasn't okay mm-hmm. with, but the more I watched the film, the more you and I talk, I agree. I think if, if things go the way I hope that they go and he has all the weapons at his disposal, I think Jack Cohn could be really, really good. And he's only going to be here for a year, but I think that year could be special for Jack Cohn yeah, and, and we'll see what happens. But I'm okay with Jack Cohen. I I am in the fan club. I agree. I am. I thought Jim's point was right, spot on. And yeah. you 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 followed up with great stuff. I have nothing else to add. That's great. All right. Let me see here. Here's a good one from Searcher Thank Green you. Nine. Is there a deadline for the transfer portal? What is the latest Notre Dame mm. can go after uh, to the portal for a position of need? Uh, honestly, the deadline officially is the first day of class of the yeah, fall. I was going to say, they've brought people in in the summer before. Yeah, and, and so the only question is, is the later you go, the less time you have to get an appeal for an immediate, because there still is Good not point. the rule for immediate transfer has not been passed yet NCAA-wide. Yeah. Now, some conferences are, are proposing things to allow that. I think the ACC just recently uh, did that proposal. But like right now, Oklahoma's holding up a, a, a quarterback who wants to transfer to TCU because they say, look, the rule is right now you got to sit out a year. We're not going to grant you immediate eligibility to go play in a team in our league that we have to play. It just makes sense. So um, you, you, the, the the later you wait to decide, the, you know, unless you're okay sitting out, which I yeah. think is still a great rule, and if we can have a talk conversation about that. But uh, the later you wait, the more likely it is you don't get that passed right away. And th- this is uh, along a similar wavelength. I could see Notre Dame maybe going the transfer route and more peeps leaving 
after spring, possibly. Yeah. Think that's possible one semester is yeah. going. There's always a chance of people hitting the transfer portal after spring because they didn't get Nick McLeod to like May, right? Right. Because the, the two deep becomes a little bit more cemented after right. spring and the writing's on the wall for some guys. And, you know, we've talked about some veterans that if they don't step up in the spring, they're going to get passed up. Those are the guys that would be the ticket to get out. And some guys know I better do well this semester yeah. in the classroom because right now there's, there's my options too. are more limited because I jerked around as a freshman. So well, I got to have a good yeah. semester to get my grades up enough to where I can transfer. Now, there's definitely that. Um, okay. Here's I, one from DBZ. Would you be surprised if Henderson and Hart flat out won the cornerback spots? I'd be a little surprised if Henderson did just because he hasn't played as much uh, and he's younger and he's more of a field guy i think right now um but yeah look he's an elite athlete there's no doubt about it he's just still a raw corner so i'd be a little surprised by that but um you know david brings that up too but look if if ramon <clears throat> would i be okay would i be surprised if they both won cornerback spots outright yeah i would would i be concerned about notre dame no because again those guys are very high ceiling players. Um the only thing that would concern me if they won sp- spots outright is if it was because you know a couple guys got injured. Sure. Then you'd be a little concerned. But yeah, there's about six corners that if they yeah. win the job outright I'm feeling pretty good. Yeah. I'm feeling absolutely. like yeah, they're going to be fine. Uh I'll, I'll let, let you Let me say let... this. That's why I'm less concerned about corner than I am safety. Cuz I don't feel that way about the third, fourth, fifth safeties. I feel there's a big talent gap between number one and two and everybody else. At corner, I say, yeah, Ramon Henderson may be raw and may need another year to develop, but the talent's there. So if the light goes on, okay, yeah, sure. I I believe I gave him a a four-and-a-half-star upside grade, even though he had like a three- or three-and-a-half-star grade because very raw, low floor, but a very high ceiling. And back to Michael Johnson's question, that's the kind of player that, that, that I think Notre Dame can and has thrived with in the past. All right, uh, Dylan, best case scenario over under top 100 recruits in the class of 22 for Notre Dame. So are we talking composite? I'd say probably I'd set the over under uh, for being realistic for a, a legit class. I'd say I'd set it at six okay. and that'd be kind of where I'd say, OK, now you can kind of pick the over under. They're usually like around four, uh, three to four. So if we're talking about them having one of their better classes, I think you set the over under at six and I'd feel good about it being there and potentially going over by one or two. I mean, they've already got you know, a couple guys on that cusp now, right. Uh, They'll definitely have that many guys, uh, in my opinion of who's ranked a hundred by somebody, somebody will rank in the top census, but not the, I'm looking at the composite list and that's a little bit different. All right. Donnie wants to know if you're hearing anything specifically about the wide receivers and learning the playbook. (laughs) Um, I, we talked a little bit about this. I've heard some good things about, uh, Jordan Johnson having a very good off season. Uh, his weight was way up, so it looks like he's been putting into work in the weight room. Uh, Lorenzo Styles has made a very strong impression so far. It's hard to say about the playbook because it's just until you get out there with the team and you're doing things in those live settings, you don't really know how guys are um, uh, are, are going on that one. So um, I, I'm feeling good about it. The only the, I, I'm feeling good about where they are with the receiver right now. I think that I'm, but anything I'm hearing though, I'm just, I'm, I'm reluctant to put much stock in it because we've heard this stuff before. We don't get to. Yeah. Yeah. Here real quick, Jeff Salmon. Um, (laughs) I see Vince has an IB hat now. What are those going to be made to the public? Vince has always had one. I I gave him one this. I can only wear them at home though. That's the thing. I can only wear wear them at school. Yeah. Um, I'm working on that. So I actually had a conversation with somebody yesterday, two days ago that uh, sells merchandise and got some advice from him. 
I hired a company recently to start doing some research into what the best options would be for us. So I'm looking into hats, uh, shirts, hoodies, and potentially some gear like, you know, like mugs and things like that, masks, things like that. So definitely looking into that because I'm surprised how many people have asked about that. And it just it's a sweet hat, Ryan. It's not only that, but it's just like, you know, the fact that we do this and people watch and listen, and it means the world to me. It it really does. I, I don't take it for granted. I, if I don't say thank you enough, I'm sorry, but I mean it. It's 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 fun. It makes this this sense of community that we're building. Yeah. It makes us makes us so much more fun. <laughs> I'm gonna throw this out there. Is the interview with Mark Rogers available online? They all want to hear what the heck yeah, happened with you it and is. Miami guy. So uh, if you go to if you go to Mark, I don't know if the chats are there, but yeah, if you go to Mark Rogers, he's the I think uh, the voice of college football is what is what it part it is. But yeah, Mark Rogers on YouTube, and it was one that I did. Uh, I've been on twice with him now, but it was the one that he and I did together. Apparently, there were some Miami people going crazy in the, the chat, but I wasn't paying attention. All right. Michael Collins has an interesting question. Rob Kelly said content creation communication comes from fighting <laughs> excuse me, fighting Irish media, which dedicates people to support football, but is not a part of the football program. Can you please comment <laughs> on the pros and cons of Notre Dame media versus top programs? It's a pain in the butt. That's semantics. No, yeah, I, look, here, here's joking. the deal. Um, Notre Dame is trying to control the narrative. Correct. They're trying to control everything oh, yes. that comes out of the program. And in some ways, I think it's great. I think it's smart to have that media because, look, in a, in a world of social media, that's how you reach young people is cool graphics and cool video and tell sure. their own. And I have no problem with that. My issue, however, and I'm not going to get into this too much, is they're doing that while then making res- rules and restrictions for us that limit our ability to then provide a consent- consenting voice or dissenting voice. Uh, and, and that's an issue that I have. We see that too much in politics. We see that too much. We're now seeing that in sports media where it's like people feel like if I'm critical of the team, then I worry about getting cut off and, and that it shouldn't be that way unless you're crossing the line and making it personal. And if I'm out there every day, Brian Kelly sucks. He needs to be fired. Yeah. yeah okay. Take away my credentials. Cause now I'm not a real analyst. I'm just a, a hack. You just but, said, yeah. But if you're providing real, hey, look, here's why I don't think Brian Kelly's getting it done. Here's why I think he's falling short of a title. Here's why he's not doing a good enough job, and I'm presenting you evidence in the debates, and that's that should be part of my job. But sure. there are people I used to – let's just say I used to talk to a lot of more Notre Dame coaches than I do now, and that's fine. I get it. But that's my issue is they're trying to – if they want to put out their own narrative and their own spin, that's fine. But then don't make rules that make it harder for everybody else, and you can say – Look, right now it's they're they're using COVID as the reason for it. I'll buy it. I don't want to get into that conversation, but I'm very curious to see how it's going to be in the fall they, when you they really love can't the use Zoom. that. They love the Zoom press yeah. conferences, man, because they so, can control every question that was asked. Right, right, and and that you know press conferences where you're not getting asked real questions are not real press conferences. They're yeah. they're they're just you know they're um, campaign stops essentially. You know that's all it is to it. Whistle stops. All right. Um, just so you know, Brian, I got about two minutes yep. and then I got five kids getting off the bus. Yeah. So, it gets a little loud at the dairy house. It definitely does. Uh, I, I know where you're going with this one. He goes, I don't know if this has been asked and answered, but how much has Aiden Gobera gone up in your rankings? Yeah. Brandon, you brought this up on a YouTube comment the other day and I agree with you completely. For me, he's already jumped up to a top 200 player. I had him as a, so I have a two tier ranking. It's, it's where you are now. And then what's your upside grade is. He's always had a four and a half star upside grade, which means that of a top 50 player. A, a, a three-year starter who can be an all-american caliber player he was the three and a half star was because i didn't see his body we didn't see junior film well now we're seeing junior film and he's added about 30 pounds and he's more explosive right. he's stronger he's dominant so to me 
he's immediately jumped up into top 200 territory, and that's only a few games into his junior year. If he keeps this up the whole year, he's going to be top 150, top 100. He's been that good uh, for me. I can't speak to what other analysts are going to view him and rank him. I don't know. I just know that when I have conversations on my site, here's what he ranks, and I have independent rankings of, of anyone else. When I have conversations with the people at SI All-American, he will be a guy that I'll be pushing for if he continues this to be a guy that we talk about being an SI 99 all-around player. Now, will they listen to me or not? I don't know. I don't have final say-so on that. <laughs> yeah, right. But I will certainly make the case because his junior film against good competition is very, very good. All right. Searcher wants to know, is ND pushing hard for Isaac Ham or Ernest Cooper the fourth? I haven't heard you mention them. Yeah, uh, Isaac Ham to me was no longer an option when they got Tyson Ford. I just don't know if they're going to take two guys like that. I love his film, and I think Minnesota is is or excuse me, Wisconsin's a, a strong f- a look for him. Ernest Cooper, I've heard people. I think Tom Loy has written some stuff on him. I just don't see that one happening. I also don't think he's as good as as his ranking projects. I think there's four or five ends that I like better than him. So that's part of the reason I haven't talked about him a whole lot. Is I just I don't know if that's a guy that I'm pushing for. And then talking to my sources, he's not a guy that I've heard when I talk about, hey, who are your top guys? Who are the guys you feel you got to get? His name isn't really one that that comes up real quick. So Vince, you got to roll. I'll, I I'll go ahead and just finish this up. This is okay. going real long, but we'll just yeah. we'll Thanks, roll these last few. I appreciate it. I love all the comments and all the participation. I'm telling you, this is my favorite day of doing podcasts. I love doing the lives, and it's awesome. It's so. just, Vince actually told me uh, on, was it Tuesday? You told me that usually Wednesday is your free day, yeah. and then Friday you're in school. Yeah. And he told me he got he had Friday, switched things around because of things going on at his school, so Friday is going to be his free day, and he was so excited. I'm like, yes, I get to be there longer. <laughs> yeah. so, All right, all right thanks, so I will see everybody later. Got to go wrangle the, the, the little ones. All right. KMA press and ask. I imagine Indy can only take one uh, tight of the tight ends, Holden Stace and Eli Raritan. So who does Indy prefer, and who do you like more? I, I wouldn't be so sure of that. I could see a scenario in which Notre Dame is going to take both of those guys. Uh, I think that they would try to make it work when it comes to scholarships at other positions. Uh, I think they like both of them because when you look at we, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but when you look at Jack Nickel and Holden Stace and Eli Raritan, they are all three completely different players from each other. There's no two that are that are alike. So. I think they could make that work. And when when your third tight end last year played 345 snaps, you can greater justify a third tight end if you're going to continue to do that. But I could see a scenario in which they take both of those guys. Which one do I prefer? I think Holden Stace is the better player now. I I, I actually like Eli Raritan's upside as much as Holden Stace so far. Now, again, we got to see them both play their senior years, and that could change, but that's where I'm at with, with them. I, they're just different players KMA, I mean, that's the thing for me is Stace is sort of a Michael Mayer type of skill set where, you know, style of play, whereas Raritan is more of a Tyler Eifert kind of guy uh, as far as style of play. Alizé Mack, you know, guy that you're not going to play attached as much. So it just depends on what you're looking for. So for me, it's just I think they could take both. Which guy I like more? I, it depends on which day you ask. I mean, they're very close. That's the thing. They're very close. Um, Michael Scheller, what's up, Michael? Hey, Brian, without giving any names, are you aware of any silent commits? Yes, I am. Couple, actually. Paul Olmstead, Marcus Freeman is setting the bar for recruiting. What does offense have to do to follow suit? Um, honestly, Paul, it's about creating a greater sense of accountability. There, when your defensive coordinator is grinding and he's a proven guy, and your defensive line coach is the recruiting coordinator and he's a proven guy. 
it sets the bar. And on defense, they just have happened to hire guys that are really good recruiters and love recruiting. Mike Mickens likes to recruit. He's really good at it. Um, Chris O'Leary is part of the reason he was hired is because he, he's a good recruiter. Marcus Freeman loves to recruit, or at least he acts like he loves to recruit. Mike Elson's been a grinder as a recruiter in recent years. I think the problem on offense is you don't have enough guys that like to recruit. I don't think Dell Alexander likes to recruit. At least he acts like he doesn't like to recruit. Um, John McNulty's been an NFL coach more than a college coach. So I, you know, there's a learning curve there when it comes to grinding. And he was a coordinator, an offensive coordinator the last time he was in college. And that's a different type of deal at a place like Rutgers. And it's different than Notre Dame. And, and then, you know, Lance Taylor's a good recruiter, but I don't think he's a grinder. And then you've got a 28-year-old offensive coordinator who is grinding, but can he hold the same level of accountability as you're going to see on defense because of the existence of Freeman and Elson? I don't think that's the case. And that's where Coach Kelly has to really be more involved to say, hey, are you guys putting in the work? Here's our list of four guys. If we want to be a national title team, we got to get two of those guys. Go get it done. And I'm going to be checking on you every day and every other day to make sure you're putting in the work. That's the kind of accountability that Coach Kelly needs to create. And if he can create that level of accountability, it doesn't need to be there on defense because the coaches there are creating that. It's sort of like a, anything you can do, I can do better. I love the competitiveness there, but also the teamwork there. Again, I mentioned the Keon Keeley player that we mentioned the other day. Uh, Jay and Lee, a, a, a three-star, or excuse me, a 2023 cornerback from Georgia. A.J. Harris. They're not just saying, hey, I talked to Coach Mickens. It's, hey, I talked to Coach Mickens and Coach Freeman and Coach O'Leary, and I've talked to Coach Kelly. There's this great teamwork being done. When I talk to sources that are not connected to Notre Dame, and they're saying, yeah, the, the offensive staff just doesn't – they're not as organized as the defensive staff. They're not as engaged. It's like, yeah, I talk to Coach Reese all the time, but I don't hear from Coach Alexander very often. That can't happen. And until Brian Kelly steps in and starts holding some accountability there – uh, that's gonna not going to change. But if he steps up and does that, and, and I'm loving the things I'm hearing about what Coach Kelly is doing, then I'm going to see I'm going to I'm going to feel really good about things. Jeff Salmon, any players looking to transfer out? Not right now. I think there's some guys that if depending on how spring goes, could be potentially leave. But right now, I think everybody that that has is is bought in um, and, and looking to push. And then once how depending on spring goes, guys will sort of reevaluate where they stand. But I think everybody. Um, everybody right now is, is, um, is, is locked in, uh, black rush. I can't stop watching you guys salute. Thank you, my man. I appreciate it very much. Appreciate you watching. Appreciate you commenting on the YouTube channel. Um, means a lot, means a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. Um, Michael Johnson, would Walter Nolan fit this defense? Walter Nolan, Michael, can fit any defense that you have. If your defense can't fit Walter Nolan, if you don't know him, he is a he is a defensive lineman. He is, in my opinion, the best defensive player in the country. He is a star. If your defense doesn't fit Walter Nolan, then you need to find a new defense. <laughs> he, is, he is that good. Uh, how's it going with Dylan Tatum? Notre Dame made Dylan Tatum's top four, but he's never been a guy that Notre Dame has been pushing for. I think they've been recruiting him as sort of a, here's our tier one guys. If we miss out on them, we'll, we'll move on to Dylan Tatum, but he's never been a tier one guy. And also he is going to stay in the state of Michigan. Michigan and Michigan State are the top two schools for him. So that's not really a, a guy that um, that I look for. Brandon, my man, thoughts on Emil Wagner. Does he compare to Jake Taylor? Consider him better, worse. Is he a takeover Taylor or Fitzpatrick? I don't know if he's a take over them. I think he's a take along with them. It's probably one of those first come, first serve, or first couple come, first serve. I think when Ohio State got in the mix for him, it changed the game. Um, I, I like Emil Wagner. I think he's very athletic. I think he's a tough kid. 
My concern for him, you know, he's undersized, but so is Fitzpatrick and so is Taylor. But when I see those guys, I see bigger bottoms. I see bigger legs. I see bigger cores. Emil Wagner looks more built like a defensive end than he does an offensive lineman. And I'm really concerned about his ability to stay that explosive and athletic when he puts weight on where I'm not as concerned about those guys that have the bigger bodies, the bigger lower frames. Um, so I have some concerns about him, but man, he's a heck of a high school offensive lineman. Um, and, and if, and if, if, if they can get him on campus or if coach, uh, if coach Bayless has already met him and he believes that he can get up to 290 plus and still be explosive, then, then he jumps up my list. It's just, I haven't seen him in person, so it's hard to really see, but what I see on film and in pictures, I really worry about his ability to fill out and maintain that that level of explosiveness. Michael Collins, given Doors struggles at the end of the season, one, how open is the competition between him, Brian, and Leonard, and two, more likely that there's a starter change as the season goes on, quarterback or kicker. I'm hoping neither. I think it would be injury-based. I, I think I think with Jonathan Doerr, look, you, the other two kickers on the roster aren't as talented as him. So the key is just get him right. Just figure out, get him right. And I don't think with kickers, here's kickers aren't like most position players. And you threaten them to take their jobs away. They're not usually, they don't react the same way. I think Jay Bramlett probably be different because Jay Bramlett's a football player. He's not just a punter. He he was a high school quarterback that led his team to the state playoffs. He's a football player. John the door is just a kicker. And so I, I would not necessarily want a competition there. It's just, look, figure out whatever you got to do. Brian Point, you don't have anything else to worry about. You're not the recruiting coordinator anymore. You're just a special teams coach. Whatever you do, figure out a way to get John the door going because he needs to be the guy. And if he, if he doesn't step it up, then I could see a scenario in which, you know, Harrison Leonard takes over as the PAT short field goal guy and, and until uh, Josh Bryan's able to take over that job. Uh, but hopefully John the door uh, steps it up. Michael also asked, any chance Notre Dame could move a home game like Toledo to the week before FSU so they don't open on the road with a new QB and a reconstituted O-line? Uh, will they add a home opener next year before opening at Ohio State? I actually am okay with it the way that it is. Um, I think anytime you have a, an opener against a tough team, I don't think playing Toledo is going to necessarily change that. I think the good thing about this, Michael, is that's what your whole final two and a half weeks of fall camp is geared towards. It's that road game. And I think that this isn't a typical Florida State team either. Um, there's no chance that they can move the game because the NCAA determines when you can start the season. You can't just say, hey, we're going to play a game on August 20th because we were trying to move it. Um, they they couldn't move anything before that. I'm pretty sure of that. But I also don't think you necessarily would need to. I like the idea of playing uh, in that situation. I mean, we've seen it before. 2015, they started against Texas. It was at home, but they started against Texas. And they had to replace, you know, Nick, some some good players, you know, some veteran linemen from the season before, and they were fine. Some veteran players from the year before, and they were fine. Um, I I don't I, I'm okay with that. Uh, Vincent Roberto with Marcus Freeman uh, has already done with recruiting. If he produces a top fifteen defense, how do you keep him out? Um, keep him out of what? I'm not sure what you mean by that, Vincent. Could you follow up with me on that and kind of let me know what you mean? Because I'm not I'm not sure what you're asking there. Um, uh, KMA Preston is Notre Dame looking to add any more transfers. Yeah, their eyes are open for it. I don't think they're necessarily scouring the uh, transfer portal for anyone because they feel a desperate need somewhere. I think they've got their eyes open. I think this close to spring, it's more about let's just see what we have, especially with some new coaches on defense. Let's see what we have. Uh, you'd think, yeah, safety is going to be a one for sure. But let's say some guys step up this spring, then you maybe you don't need it. So uh, I think depending on how spring goes, uh, I – you know, I, I 
I think they could have their eyes open for some guys, kind of like we saw last year with with Nick McLeod, who got added late. Um, last chance, you forecast for uh, Kendall Abdurrahman, Litchfield Ashvan, J.D. Bertrand, Osita Ekwanu, Nana Osafa Mensa, Pryor, and Spears. Well, Spears is on is uh, you know I he he is, but I mean he's he's kind of behind. Uh, Abdul Rahman, to me, he's a redshirt sophomore and technically redshirt freshman with the extra year. I'm not worried about him. Ashavon's a redshirt sophomore. Bertrand Ekwanu, those guys are a sophomore. They're all redshirt sophomores. Uh, to me, I don't think you're in a last chance situation. Now, I do think they're in a, in a situation where if they don't play well this spring, they could find themselves passed up, but they could then go out and have a great offseason and, and be back in the mix that next year. But you're getting to the point where, you know, if, if not this spring, next spring for sure with those guys. Um, my last chance you discussions are more about guys that are sort of in their last leg or maybe have a fifth year, but if you don't play well this year, they're not going to bring you back for a fifth year kind of thing. Um, any guesses on Indy's first 2023 commit could be, I, I don't, I don't like, I don't necessarily feel comfortable doing that because um, it's so early, but there's some names have been mentioned. I think those two guys are, could be in that conversation. Um, Cardinal Tate is another one. Um, I could see Notre Dame, um, you know, making a push on and, and, you know, there, look, there's some local guys that they're going to get on. I, I think we're probably still a month or two away at least from getting a 2023 guy. None of those guys have been on campus, but I think once that ball starts rolling, you're going to see them start filling up, you know, five to six to seven guys really quickly between now and, and the end of the season for sure. Um, let's see here. Uh, all right. Let's see here. Block. Um, Mike Scheller, Coach Cobb, Kelly's obviously getting more involved with recruiting, so he should demand the coaches that aren't engaged. Is, agree. I agree with you. Um, so Saban James, I know there was a cone breakdown when he committed, but can we have another to see more of what y'all have been talking about? So, I mean, I'm not going to do another full evaluation because we still have that one and, and we have no data points to prove differently from a big picture standpoint. So, you know, we did an article at irishbreakdown.com and on the YouTube channel where we broke down his game. I showed some film. We've had some analysis stuff. What I am doing right now, however, and, and I've been working on it, I have the data collected. Now I just have to formulate it into an article and try to find some some clips that that I I can't always use clips. Some clips are copyright protected or just bad shots, but I'm, I'm doing a breakdown where I believe Jack Cohn is going to improve the deep ball ability. I like how he throws the deep ball. He didn't throw it a ton at Wisconsin, but I like how he throws it. And so that is one thing I'm working on now, uh, Saban James. So keep an eye out for that. It'll be more you know, narrow in one specific part of the game. We've already talked big picture, what I like about him. So I would check those, that, those things out. But I'm going to kind of get into a couple smaller detail things that are going to um, that are going to look at it. KMA Preston, how is Notre Dame looking with all the Wisconsin offensive linemen they're targeting? I mean, I I think they could get all three of them. I don't think they're going to get all three of them. What I'm saying is each guy, I think Notre Dame is in his top three. I think they're in great position with Billy Shrouth. If I could rank them most likely to least likely, I would go Billy Shrouth number one. I think Notre Dame has been his leader for a long time. I think Notre Dame is in a great position with Carson Hinsman. Not, not, saying that they're his leader i think wisconsin's there too but i think they're in a good position there and i think they're in good position with joe bruner i think all three of those guys have notre dame at the very least in their top two or three so i wouldn't be shocked if they got any of those three guys i don't think they're going to get all three but i think they have a shot with all three at this point in time 
Michael Scheller asks, after the big three of Hayden Singleton and Saul Chuck, who would be your number number four in your opinion? Thanks. Um, Michael, there wouldn't be a number four. Uh, for me, it's you get one of those three or you move on to 2023. I just, to me, I don't think that the need at running back is so great that you have to take a second guy. If you're not taking a second guy that's as good or better than Jadarian Price, then you don't take one. If you're not getting a guy that's as good or better than Audric Estime uh, or or Logan Diggs, then you don't take one. And for me, you know, look, Demari Austin's a good player, Jabron Payne's a good player, but those guys are not better than what they already have. And I don't think that you need to to I don't think you should land someone that's not as good or better than what you already have. Your fifth or sixth running back in a three year span shouldn't be your lowest ranked one. You should start shooting for the 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 better players. So that's why I would say I wouldn't really have a fourth. Um, okay, so Vincent followed up. Uh, keep him out of the head coaching job if they were to move on from Kelly. I- I'm with you. I mean, it's 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 to me, but it's not about top 15 defenses because that's what Clark Lee was doing. I mean, Clark Lee was building top 15 defenses, and I wouldn't have I pushed back against that notion of Clark Lee for different reasons. But I mean, I think he needs to do a couple things. It's it's about you know building an elite defense, and I I don't care if it's top 15 or not. Just be great at it. It's about you know, the organization, his leadership, can he coach coaches? That's a big part of being a head coach. Can he coach the coaches? Um, can he build the connections and the trust with the players? Can he recruit at a high level? Can he buy into the the university's vision? I think all those things are, are going to be true of Marcus Freeman, but we just have to see it. And if he does what I think he's going to do, then he has a chance to be that guy. And I'm usually 99 times out of hundred, very against, uh, coaches in waiting or assistant coaches being promoted at Notre Dame. Very against that. But you also have to be, you can't be so stuck in your ways that you just don't ignore that there's this great talent right in front of you. And I think Marcus Freeman can be that guy. I think he understands Notre Dame. I think he's a very intellectual person. I think he's smart. I think he's hardworking. I think, you know, you have to have sort of that outside the box sort of way of thinking that not all coaches have, which is why not every coach who's smart with football is a great head coach because it requires a completely different, you know, that's why we see a lot of great coordinators become bad head coaches. It's just a different deal. I think Marcus Freeman has the intellect, the intelligence, the hard work, all the traits, the personality, the ability to, to relate. Cause look, if you can't relate to boosters, you're not going to be a good head coach in Notre Dame. If you, if you can't handle going on all these different speaking functions and all those kind of things and still be a great head coach, you're not going to thrive at Notre Dame. So there's a lot of things that we have to learn about Coach Freeman. But honestly, I think he's right there. And and that that is a lot for me to say because I'm usually a pump the brakes kind of guy. And so I'm I'm going to do that now. Let's see if I'm let's see him coach first. Let's see him close on a recruiting class. It looks great so far, but what's it going to look like in December? What's it going to look like in February? I want to see those things first, but I'm I'm you know fingers crossed that it's going to work out because if if you can promote a guy like him to that head coaching job, then it's a lot easier to kind of maintain that level of 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 play and then take it to the next step, sort of like Ohio State did with Ryan Day. I mean, again, Ohio State's a place that I'm normally not promoting a coordinator. Ryan Day was different. I think Marcus Freeman's different. I could see that kind of line of succession happening but part of that too is you better be pretty good the next couple years because if brian kelly steps away after going eight and four you're not promoting an assistant coach if you're 10 and two or if you're a playoff team and coach kelly decides it's time to go and and it it, you know he just it's ready for him to move on then now you're in a position where you can where you can put that kind of guy in there so uh, he is it's it's going to be hard if he does what it sounds like you think he's going to do and what i think he's going to do it could be hard 
And for the first time in my career, I probably would, would not be opposed to that. Um, let's see here. Search of green with the lack of big body DTs. Why was Spears moved to the O-line anyway? I just don't think that they thought he had the, the men's mindset for defensive line. Um, I thought at the time they had needs there. And, and number, number three, I don't think there's a need necessarily in this type of defense to have big bodies. You don't need 320 pounders. I like having some big guys. That's why I like the fact that they signed, uh, Gabriel Rubio and Aiden Keanu Anna. But I don't think you need a bunch of 300-plus pounders. To run Alabama's defense, you need that. I don't think you need that in Notre Dame's defense. I think there's a happy medium between sort of what they've had and and the, those bigger guys, but it's not a need. So you have to find the right guy. You need to find a 300-pounder that can move. And those are rare, and those guys are much harder to get out of the, the regions where they exist, Texas and the South, than they are than other positions are. And and so I, I wish they would have left them personally. It's just me personally. I liked Hunter Spears' upside a lot. I would have liked to see him get a shot at nose tackle, but they just they made that move early on. And I just think there was maybe a personality thing and 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 a fit thing for that position. And they didn't think he would. Um, you also asked, could he move back? I, I don't know. I am I think that ship might be sailed by now, but I would love to see it. If they moved him back to nose tackle this spring, I would I would love that. I'd be all on board on that. Um, I saw on Twitter, he ran a 10, five. I've not seen that officially. So, I mean, I've heard people report that I have not seen that. So, and I definitely don't see it on film. I, I don't. So I hope he does. If he's that kind of speed guy. Great. That's awesome. Um, DJ, uh, just want to say thank you guys for what you do and, uh, appreciate it. I really appreciate it because, uh, it's a lot of hard work, but we enjoy it. You know, I don't mind staying up late when it's breaking down film and doing this. And the fact that you guys enjoy it, um, means a lot means a lot to us and it, it makes it fun in, in these these long these long off seasons so let's see here um michael collins uh regarding no coach and waiting at what point does kelly contract impending retirement factor into recruiting meaning if you're going to do a national search after he retires michael i that's a good question I don't think it's really going to impact recruiting a whole lot because I think the way that Notre Dame recruits, they recruit the whole don't come here because of a coach thing. I mean, I've told said this, I know for a fact, I've had recruits and or parents tell me before that they chose Notre Dame in spite of a specific coach, or including Brian Kelly. Notre Dame is a different deal. And so I just think kids look at it differently. But I do think that if you get to the point where if Brian Kelly keeps winning the way that he's won, it won't matter because people can give all the rumors they want. I mean, people, SEC coaches have been trying to do this with Nick Saban for years. Well, look, he's 70 years old. He's clearly, at, and doesn't matter because, hey, Alabama's going to keep being Alabama. And I think Brian Kelly has built Notre Dame to that level where if he's going 10 and 2 and with the occasional 12 and 1 and or 10 and 3 and 11 and 2 and 12 and 1 like he has the last three years and four years, and people say, look, you know, if he leaves and some other great coach is going to want to take that job, but it's still Notre Dame. And I don't think Brian Kelly acts like someone who is worn out. I, I think he, well, he, there was a time at Notre Dame where it was that way, but I, I think he's kind of got a second wind and part of that's because he's not doing as much, which I would like to see some of that change. And it, it is from what we're hearing. It is. But I, I just think when you have a program rolling, it's a lot harder to use that negative recruiting of, oh, he's going to be gone kind of thing it, it it just is and, and especially when you have a, a young coaching staff like Notre Dame is becoming younger and younger in a good way 
you know, you can kind of have that, you know, you may not make a coach in waiting, but you can spin it that way. You can talk, Hey, look, coach Freeman's going to get a chance to do this or, or coach Reese or whoever else that people want to throw out as a name for that next coach. Um, I think it makes it. I mean, look, they have a 34-year-old defensive coordinator and a 28-year-old offensive coordinator. Notre Dame has a young staff. Mike Mickens is young. I think Chris O'Leary is like what 25. Uh, you know, Mike Elson's the old guy, and and he has as much gray hair as I do. I mean, you know, on defense, I'm talking about. I mean, and he's not old. I mean, he's he, he's not an old guy. He's I think he's in his 40s. This is a very young, energetic staff, and I think that is also kind of is going to help Kel- Coach Kelly be rejuvenated to where he can continue on the contract if he wants it. But if they keep winning, then to the questions that were asked as far as the coach and waiting, yeah, you can maybe have that conversation a little bit more. I just don't like that because I feel like once you name that, it sort of then undermines the the head coach that's there. Uh, This is going to be Brian Kelly's team until Brian Kelly decides he doesn't want to be the head coach anymore. I mean, that's just the reality barring some disaster that I don't see happening. And so, when he decides to step away, you can then make your decision on who's next. And and there's so much that has to happen between now and then. It would be a mistake to name Marcus Freeman the coach in waiting right now because we don't know what he's going to do as a coach, and we haven't let him finish one recruiting class. He's, he hasn't signed a single player at Notre Dame. Commitments, yes. Hasn't signed anybody. He hasn't coached a single snap of defense. If he does what I think he's going to do, and they decide in a year or two that they want to name him that, I won't resist it as much as I, I would have in the past because I think he is different. I just think he brings traits that that I look for that a lot of D coordinators don't have. Out of KMA Preston, out of our current three star commits, uh, how many are likely to become four stars? Why? Well, I obviously Aiden Gabera is one. I would have said that about Nolan Ziegler, but in the last up cycles of of the rankings going out, he's now a consensus four star recruit. Um. You know, I, I think Steve Angeli could be that guy because of where he plays and he's got a big body. If he shows the improvements I'm hoping for, arm strength, accuracy, those type of things, with the talent he'll have around him skill player-wise and at a big program like Bergen Catholic, I could see him jumping up to be a four-star recruit. Not necessarily like a highly ranked one, but just a four-star recruit. Um, you know, Jaden Mickey's already four-star recruit. Burnham Ziegler already four stars. Of uh, Tyson Ford's a four-star. Ty Chan, Joey Tanona, Jack Nickel is a four-star on ESPN. Three-star on others. I think he's more of a three-star guy for me, so I don't see him jumping up. Jadarian Price is already a four-star. Um, so Aiden Gabera and Steve Angeli would be the two that I would I would see the most uh, as as uh, jumping up. Michael Scheller. I appreciate you, man. Great job, Brian, uh, with a Y. Okay, I just now got it. You're, so second time you put my Y with a capital Y. I love it. Okay, now we're on the same page, buddy. I appreciate you. Um, support me. I'd be in the channel. I, I appreciate that, man. It means a lot. So um, I had a couple basketball questions on here. Um, honestly, Robert, I, I don't follow the basketball team quite close enough to to answer this question. Um, you know, I just – I don't. I, I, I don't feel – I'm in a place where I could say definitively that that what he does or doesn't need to do with the coaches. I have some opinions from a big picture standpoint of what the basketball team needs to do as far as, you know, like I mentioned in the previous show about John Beeline and how he went from a great offensive mind to a team that was, you know, made a final four run because of great offense with Trey Burke and Mitch McGarry and Glenn Robinson to then he makes a final four run with sharpshooters and defense. And that's what they did the year they made it with Mo Wagner and, 
and uh, I think Kendall Abdur. No, it's not that. Sorry, it's a uh, Muhammad Abdur Rahman, or I think was name was Xavier Simpson. That was a completely different team because he realized everybody else is getting better on offense. We're kind of the same, but now we we need to do something different. If we're not going to have the best talent, we're not bringing in a bunch of five star recruits, which John Beeline didn't really do. So he became a great defensive team while still having a good offense. And I and I think if Coach Bray isn't willing to make some of those alterations and say, look, we're not going to have as good of players in North Carolina, and, and they can now score with us. So we have to maybe alter a little bit. Maybe we become a little bit more defensive-oriented. Maybe we become a little bit you know, different in how we approach it. That's going to be the kind of change he's going to need. Now, does that mean you got to get rid of coaches? I don't know. I can't speak to that. I don't follow the team enough, and, and, and I just don't feel that's my place. And, and so as far as that, it's just – you know, it's just I, I can't really dive into that because that's not my area of expertise. And, and so I don't want to start offering that. Um, uh, Jeff Salmon of the silent commits, you know, about are any announcing soon? Yes, I believe one will announce somewhat soon. I have a couple stories written already. So just keep an eye out for those. But yeah, we'll, we'll soon meaning like in the next two days. I, I don't know about that. There aren't set days for them, but I, I, I know of at least one guy that could potentially happen somewhat soon. Um Never understood the point of a silent commit. I, I get that, but I think some of it is understandable. It's if you're silent committing because you want to take seven visits or whatever else, and you're just trying to lock your space in, that's it. But other kids are, you know, so for example, especially now during this pandemic, you know, uh, ravaged recruiting cycle the last year, there's kids that I know that want to commit to Notre Dame have basically told Notre Dame they're coming, but they want to visit campus first because it's like, hey, coach, I want to commit to you, but. There's evidence I don't have. I haven't seen the campus in person. I haven't met you in person. I haven't done this. And, you know, and, and those are important things. And I have no problem with the kids saying, hey, I'm silent, commit. I don't want to go. I'm committed to you, but I don't want to go public until this. Because here's the thing. I respect that. I think that's a very mature decision for a young person to make because it's like, hey, coach, if I silently commit and I visit and it doesn't go well, then the only people that know that I'm I'm not committed anymore are me and you, basically, me and, and the coaching staff. And as long as people like me keep that stuff to ourselves and don't go telling everybody that it, this kid silently committed, then that's an easy parting of ways for those for both sides because you don't have that evidence. And so those are instances where, where I'm okay with it. Uh, now, if a kid's just doing it because he thinks he's going to lock a spot in, that's fine. You can silently commit all you want, but we're not treating you like a commit. And that's something I think the Notre Dame coach has been really good about. They're, they don't take many silent commitments. They, they don't. Uh, what they'll also do is they'll say, hey, look, coach, I'm committing, but I'm going to announce, you know, at my school like a month from now. That's the, the so like Josh Burnham, for example, uh, had actually told the Notre Dame staff he was coming well before his announcement. But it's just they had that announcement plan and things like that. So um, that's a part of it, too, that I don't mind. It's the ones that say, hey, coach, I'm committed, but I'm still going to take a bunch of visits and this. That, and that. that guy may be committed, but he's not he's not committed. I mean. And I'm not. And what Notre Dame does a good job of, and has really for the last few years, is yeah, we'll 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 count you as a commit, but we're going to keep recruiting like you're not there because we're not going to get stuck with our pants down. Where you know we we tell a kid, sorry, we got a commitment, the spot's gone, and but the kid won't go public, and then he decides he's going to go to somewhere else, and now you're stuck because you're not going to get that kid that you thought was committed, but you're also not going to get the kid that you told to, to go. You know, you didn't have room for him. This staff has done a really good job in recent seasons of saying, hey, if when you commit publicly, then we're locked in. We're together. Or if there's an extenuating circumstance where, coach, I'm not taking any other visits. I don't have anything set up. I'm not going anywhere else, but I need to see your campus first before I'm ready to go public. I have no problem with that, especially now. So that's kind of um, – yes. 
Uh, getting engaged but still wanting to date other people thing. Yes, in the one instance, that is absolutely right. I do think there are some other circumstances where it is it is okay to do that. Last couple ones, we're going to wrap up here soon. I cannot believe we've gone almost two hours. So many awesome questions, and y'all have sticking around. Our numbers are still the same. Uh, absolutely love it. KMA Preston asking you to forecast pretty big here, but what class do you think will finish ranked higher, 2022 or 2023? Um, I'm going 2023. I think, I think be, because here's why. Number one, I think Notre Dame's going to have another strong year on the field this year. I think they're going to be at least 10 and two in the regular season uh, because of the fact that the 2021 class was a top 10 class. I think it finished like eighth or ninth because I think the 2022 class is going to be really good. And then another good year in, the, in there, there, there are, there are 11 commits in, right? And, and really, I think you could even say, depending on some of the silent commits and some of the guys I expect to pick up, by the time spring ball's over, they could be 13, 14 deep, which means the, the spots are smaller. You're, you've told some kids that you're recruiting now that you don't have room for them, which means you can now focus your attention on 2023. And I think that pot of gold thing was phenomenal because they're, they're, they've offered more sophomores that I've ever seen Notre Dame offer. And it's not just throwing out random offers. These are offers and they're building relationships. I mean, I, I had a conversation with, with my uh, recruiting guy, Eric Rudder, and we're like, hey, look, I only want to talk to 2023 guys that the Notre Dame staff is like serious about. They're talking to. But then it's like every kid he reaches out to in 2023, it's like, yeah, I've talked to Coach Kelly. I've talked to Coach Freeman. I've talked to Coach Reese. I've talked to Coach Elson. I've talked to Coach Mick. And it's like, well, okay, do a story on them. And it's like, I want to do more 2022 stories, but there's so many of these 2023 kids that they're talking to that they're already recruiting. It's phenomenal. And when you think about it, they can't talk to any of these kids on their own. These kids have to initiate that conversation with Notre Dame. They can't call Dante Moore in Detroit, a phenomenal quarterback who I love. He's got to call them. And he's done that. And he's building that relationship. You know, we had we interviewed a, and I'm not sure if I'm not going to say his name because I'm not sure if he's publicly announced his um his offer yet. I'd have to go check on that. But he's talking about how he's he he's loves Coach Reese. They have a great relationship already. So the fact that they're building those connections so early is going to put them in position to finish. Look, this is the stuff I've been saying for a long time they need to do. Get start early, be more aggressive, teamwork, all these kind of things. And it's it's paying off already. And it's going to pay off, and they're going to get two or three on each side of the ball, different kids than they normally get, and and that's what I think is going to be the difference. So if I had to guess right now, uh, I would say I think twenty twenty three will be the better class. Uh, Brandon says uh, if Freeman sticks around, definitely twenty twenty three class is going to be better. I I think that's a big part of it. Um, uh, here we go. Let's see here. That's it. I think that's all the questions we got. So, uh, and if you didn't get a question asked, guess what? We're going to be back next Friday at one o'clock to answer it as well. So uh, I also got a lot of good feedback on the uh, breaking down film thing. So I think we're going to do that. And, and it's probably gonna be at night. I'm gonna probably do it like eight or nine at night. Uh, I'm going to probably pick a day during the week where I'm just going to take a recruit and we're just going to go through his film. I'm, you know, I'll break it down. I'll kind of go through, you know, what I see from him, what I'm looking for, because uh, each position is different and then just kind of go through that film. Uh, and then if you guys have questions about them or you want to offer your thoughts, we'll make it a live show. So we'll do it live. So that way you guys can be part of that process as well. Uh, last question here. Uh, you just had to get it in any clue how many kids Indy is willing to take in this class. I think 22 to 23 is the most they're going to be able to get. If there are some unexpected departures between now and the fall, I think that could jump up, but it's not going to be like a huge, huge class unless the NCA changes things and says, Hey, we're going to you know, go to 90, 80, 95 scholarships for 2021 21, and then drop it down to 90 for 2022. Um, uh, to work also, I saw your question about Coach Bray. Um, 
I, I'm gonna let Vince get into that one. Vince is a little bit more on top of the of the basketball thing. So come back next week and ask that question. Uh, and and Vince will be able to to ask that. So uh, or answer that question a little bit more effectively than I can. So I just I just you know again I have my thoughts on it, but it, it's as more of a, as a fan than it is as someone who follows the team every day. And I think Vince would be able to give you a better answer for that one. So uh, come back and ask that coach break question next week. So hey, everybody, thank you guys and gals so much for being a part of this. This has been a lot of fun. Uh, our numbers stayed strong for the entire two hours. That's completely awesome. Tons of great questions. If I didn't get to something and I missed it, I apologize. You can ask me on Twitter or come back next week and ask it again next Friday. Cause we'll certainly uh, be back again next Friday, but everybody have a phenomenal weekend. Saturday morning, we're releasing a podcast and it'll be kind of split up on YouTube where we go through different parts of the team as we do a spring preview. Uh, there'll be uh, interviews that we'll have up on the website with the coaches and the players after spring practice, which we're going to allow some post-practice interviews, things like that, really diving into spring analysis um, and and all those types of things. Hey, hey, Michael, I'm going to uh, do me a favor. I'm going to move on to that one. Um, ask me that one on Twitter. And, and I'll get into that. Shoot me a DM on Twitter and, and I'll explain that one to you about, about that situation. So um, really love it. Appreciate y'all being here. We'll be with you soon. And um, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Hit that notifications button. Uh, we are obviously, we have a, a Facebook group page, the Irish Breakdown Facebook group page. I'm also uh, part of a, a Facebook community called Notre Dame Football News. It's like 20, over 21,000 people are on that Facebook group. Uh, I post all my stories there. I'll interact there. So if you're looking for a, a big Notre Dame Facebook group to be a part of, and that's one to look for, Notre Dame Football News. Uh, I'm a moderator on that. So if I see that you applied, I'll certainly uh, let you in there. But it's an awesome group to be a part of. And those guys let me post all my stories on there. That's really awesome. Uh, so make sure you check that out as well. And, of course, subscribe to uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe to our podcast. And, as always, check out irishbreakdown.com. If you haven't already done so, uh, we have a free newsletter. You can see a link to it in every story I write has a, a, a sign to our or link to our newsletter. Put that out usually every morning, just about every morning. Some weekends, some days there's just not enough new content that I don't put it out. But almost every morning, it's a, our top five stories, uh, you know, about, you know, what we did the day before from the website. So check that out. It's a great way to support us. You want to support Irish Breakdown? Definitely listen to the channel. Definitely listen to the podcast, but also read our site. You know, that's, that's really, that's what drives uh, this business right now. And we're hoping to have a message board back soon. Uh, but yeah, check our stuff out, read our site, engage with me in other formats, but definitely read our stuff. Cause that's really what allows us to keep doing these types of things for free. And that's my ultimate goal is to have all of our content be for free is my goal. And hopefully I can keep that going, but that requires people to stay engaged and especially in the off season, stay engaged, read the site, check out the YouTube stuff. So all of you that are, thank you so much. Spread the news. Tell your friends. Tell all your Notre Dame friends about what we're doing. And we'll be back to talk to you again very, very soon.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.